0: Welcome back to episode 57 of Warrior's Den. Today's guest, Vinny, is a 20-plus year police veteran out of Buffalo, New York, and a lifelong martial artist, as he mentions, comes from some boxing royalty, see if you can figure it out. And as well, we originally met uh, doing a Niraman CT707 Krav course in also Buffalo, New York. And so we talk about a whole lot of stuff from martial arts, his background, uh, policing, what's going on in the world, politics. As you know, as always, if you listen regularly, because it's a fascinating time. But Before we move forward, uh, just a reminder that this is brought to you by Urban Tactics Krab Maga. And in particular, Urban Tactics, or utcmu our newest website, where you can sign up to see all our curriculum as we teach it and some other bonus material when I post it. That is at www.utmu.com. And of course, you can check out our blog where this is posted as well as whatever other rantings I have doing a new, at this time if you're listening to it, right as we post this the current series, for example is on myths and misconceptions in corrupt oh Maga. so that'll be on for the next few weeks, and if you're listening to this in the far distant future, I hope, you go back and read it, and uh, you can also find us at uh, the main website if you want to come check out the school is urbantacticskm.com utkmblog.com and Then on Instagram, you can find us at Urban Tactics, Krav Maga, I believe. One of them is Urban Tactics KM. I can never remember. It's probably Twitter, which I never use, but our stuff is posted there as well. So feel free to follow us there. And that is all for now. And if you are a student, just know you can also contact us in Metro Vancouver to do your firearms licensing course. So this will be episode 57 with Vinny. Oh, before I forget, if you want to train with Vinny and Nick and his cohorts, uh, you can get them at Spar. Spardefense.com. Right, so they have just to give you an idea, they're teaching Kramaga and Jiu Jitsu as well as other various things that you would need to do, including a New York pistol permit, etc. You can find on their website their schedule for adults and kids classes pretty much every day for the most part. So you can find uh, Vinny and train with Vinny and his cohorts at spardefense.com. And wherever else you want to find him will be on that website. You can find him on uh, Facebook as well. So here's episode 57 with Vinny. Krav Maga is not just a self-defense system. It is a way of life. Warriors Den is a podcast for Kravists, fighters, martial artists, warriors, politicians, and general citizens. Consider this. The society that separates scholars from its warriors will have its thinking done by cowards and its fighting done by fools. Lucid your host, Jonathan Fader, talks to guests in an open and uncensored format about their fights, their philosophies, and their lives. No topic is taboo, and the conversation may start in one place and end in another. As the quote suggests, you cannot separate the warrior from the politics and the world around them, as a true warrior must be a student in all forms of art and science. You're listening to The Warrior's Day, Warriors Day. brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga, turning lambs into lions.
1: Test. Okay, so we are back, and I have with me a colleague, uh, Vinnie Mancino. Uh, I originally met you a few years ago uh, during a Niroman uh, instructor seminar. So it's, it's been a few years then,
2: yeah, it has. It's been a good couple of years—six years, I believe it's
1: been. Yeah, yeah, it's been a while. Too bad, years not running them as regularly as I'd hoped. But you know, it is what it is. Life. Um, so, Vinny is also a police officer and has been a martial artist for many years, and own co-owns a uh, spar. Is it Spar Kramaga?
2: Spar, <clears throat> Spar, self defense.
1: Spar self defense and Kramaga yeah, out of Buffalo in New York. So um, let's just start with the basics. Uh, let's start with martial arts. How do, what's your introduction to martial arts and, and what styles have you, have you been into?
2: Um, originally, um, I came from a boxing background. Um, when I was a kid, um, my father was a was an, uh, Golden Gloves fighter. Um, beyond that, before that, my uncle uh, was a world-ranked fighter back in the uh, late 30s and early 40s. And my cousin is a former world champion in the, in the 1980s. So I have boxing in my blood. Yeah. So that, that's, you know, where I really got started with the martial arts. Um, I won the golden gloves a couple of times. i won a tough man contest. Um, you know, it, over the years, won lots of trophies with boxing. You know, I really should have stuck with it. I didn't, uh, a lot of discipline involved with boxing, but uh, I took it as far as I could. And beyond that, um, I started taking um, martial arts probably in the early 80s. We all started in this area. We had a judo school. So everybody from the neighborhood went to the judo school for a little while. It was like the place that for the parents to hang out and for the kids to roll around the mat. And then from there, um, I got into ninjutsu, believe it or not, around during the ninja craze in around 1986. Um, my instructor's teacher was, uh, so was Professor Ron Duncan, who was the... Uh, the uh, the godfather of American ninjutsu. Um, and uh, I did that for a little while. And unfortunately, a lot of instructors, our instructor, we had a great time. I mean, ninjutsu was really interesting. I mean, we were doing lots of crazy things in the classes, and um, I enjoyed it. And then the instructor, um, he left town, basically, took everyone's money and left town. And I got into Kempo. was another instructor in that school taught American Kempo. So I got into Kempo in Arnis, uh, the Filipino stick fighting. Mm-hmm. I stuck with that for a little bit for a while, went back to boxings back and forth with all that. <clears throat> uh, when I became a police officer, I wasn't seeing any martial arts, but I believe it had to be 2006 or seven. Um, that series, the human weapon was on the
3: history. Channel. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: And I'll never forget. I was, I watched them all because I was always into martial arts and, uh, watched one about Krav. And I remember, uh, Etai Gill, Had, uh, the two hosts of the show on and he, uh, had knife attacks Yeah, and they couldn't defend him. And he basically said, you guys don't know shit about self-defense. And it just kind of rang a bell in my head. It's like, you know what? I really got to, I really have to learn this. And I knew about, you know, I knew about Krav Maga. I had some friends taking it. Um, you know, and then, you know, I started studying it. I started learning about it before I actually went in there and knew what I was getting myself into. And sure enough, I went there and I was, I was hooked. Yeah. Went all the way through to Black Belt um a couple of years later, went to Israel, uh trained there with D. E. L. Yanilov,
3: mm-hmm. who was
2: the number one student to Emi Lichtenfeld, the founder of Krav Maga. And then from there, um, I got together with Nir Maman. Obviously, you know Nir. I called yeah. him on the phone one day. Um, I had spent about four hours on the phone with him. He's only in Toronto, so he's not that far from me.
3: Yeah.
2: And uh, you know, we you know, we connected on a, on a, on a personal level as well. Cause he's into law enforcement. And then I went to my first uh, certification in 2011 in Toronto. Yeah. And um, from there, we just went and, you know, I, I got with him a couple of times. Um, he's come down here. we you know, visited everything else. I've been up there. Uh, my wife is from Toronto. So kind of worked out well. Cause you know, he's not far from her. And yeah. uh, like I said, we built a friendship on that as well as a uh, student, you know, the student teacher uh, relationship.
1: Yeah, yeah, well, that's really good. Something I uh, always struggle with, me being the weird introvert, outrovert <laughs> that I am. I kind of always do my own thing. It's cool you met Ayel. I didn't know that. Uh, I've unfortunately not had the opportunity uh, to train with him yet. I was actually supposed to go to Israel until COVID hit, and I was actually going to train with Amit and see Amit uh, Himmelstein. I don't know if you know who he is. And, Who's that? Uh, Amit Himmelstein. is the head of. Um, Wow, I am going to get in trouble for this one. Um, IKF, the, the okay. Co-op Federation, which is like the cousin. It's basically the same stuff nowadays. And, you know, right. they all have their own little spin on it. But Amita is very similar to Nir in that simplified, more practical application, a lot less uh, uh, like KMG or IKMF where it's this huge drawn-out, you know, curriculum that's a bit, right. a bit much, but uh, yeah, it's... Uh, one day I'll get it, because I know uh, Chaim Zud passed this year, and I unfortunately didn't get to meet him. And I've been told that someone that we need to go train with in Israel is Dennis Hanover, who is also… Oh,
2: oh he was in that video. What He yeah. was another guy I'd love to meet and I'd love to train with, because uh, he was fantastic in The Human Weapon as well. I mean,
1: yeah, yeah. Uh, I've been told, go now, before, before the same thing happens. I'm like, go away. Yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's good. That's, that's quite the pedigree. Cause you know, a lot of times when people are pure boxing, they don't like to go into the other styles as opposed to, you know, sometimes the other styles inherently will learn boxing because it's such a, a fundamental part of all combat sports. Uh, was there a particular reason that you just divested away from the boxing given your family and history? And-
2: um, well, you know what I, when I was, since I've been a little kid, I always want to be a professional boxer. Like I said, my cousin was a world champion back in the eighties. He's a multi-millionaire. People know him all over the world. Um, you know, you see that. and You're growing up watching him on TV. Watch- back in the 80s, there was CBS, which was a, a non-pay channel. So most of his title fights were on regular TV, not pay-per-view. Yeah. So you know, he had a lot of exposure, and to this day, you know, he can walk down the street and people recognize him, and uh, you know, will come up, we'll ask for autographs, everything. Even in, when he's in Buffalo, people recognize him right away, and we we'll stop them on the street and, and to talk to them and get an autograph, get a picture. Um, you know, when you're seeing all this as you're, you know, as I'm growing up and, you know, obviously it, it's in the blood, definitely is in the blood. You know, I had a chance in 90. I went down to train with um, some professionals uh, down in Virginia beach, the trainer for uh, Evander Holyfield, uh, Lou Duva brought me down there. Mm. Uh, so I trained with um, Pernell Whitaker, who's since passed, was a, was a fantastic multi-world champion, gold medals for USA. And Meldro Taylor, another gold medalist for USA, and a guy you might have uh, remember Egerton Marcus, who was a silver medalist for Canada back in 1988. Mm. I was training with him for a little while down there, and uh, you know, I was when I was down there. I mean, it was all business. It, it, you know, these were guys, you know, professional champions down there. And at that time, I had like 20 amateur fights and these guys have over 200 amateur fights. some of these guys. And I was like, you know what? I just didn't feel like I I belonged yet. So I came back home and you know, they, I did well down there, but you know, I wasn't ready. I was 19 years old and you know what? It's, it's a life. It's a Spartan life. You wake up in the morning, you go run, you get done running, you you know, you go to work or school. I was going to school at the time, get out of school, go to the boxing gym, come home from the boxing gym, eat dinner from there, go, do some weight training or some other training and it do, you're doing this every single day. You don't have a life. And you know what? It finally, by the time I was twenty twenty one, doing all this, um, all my friends were going out and hanging out at bars and having girlfriends and living a normal life. And it, it, it finally, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. It just, but the mentality, I kept the mentality and even to this day I watch everything I eat, like, you know, train every day, um, you know, watch everything I do. I just could have stuck with it. I should have stuck with it, but you know what? Everything happens for a reason. And you know I'm enjoying being a Kabbalagon instructor and and, and doing and going as far as I can with Krav. And going to Israel was was one of the highlights of my life. And meeting Nir. Um I've met a lot of great people, and I have a, a total respect uh, for the uh, for the Israelis. I mean, you know, they their mentality and, and the way they live is is just unbelievable. And I've I've noticed that you know the the Israelis I've met are, are the most solid, honest people. You don't want to mess with them. Yeah. If they're your friend, they're your friends. I mean, you know, everybody I met over there, you know, they all all had a presence about them. They live differently than we do, obviously. Yeah. You know, they live under constant threat. And uh, I, I made I forged a, a couple of friendships over there, and still talk to some of these guys. And uh, like I said, they're solidarious people, and you know, if they're your friend, they'll do anything for you. And uh, you know, and I, you know, there's a lot of respect there, a lot of honest, you know, honest people.
1: Yeah. So it's definitely yeah. a different world over. Yeah. You know, I'm too Canadian. That's why I came back. But uh, it, it's, I would say it's a very loud culture <laughs> 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 to to be nice. Um, so uh, you mentioned Arnis. Like that's, you know, I like I'm familiar with it, uh, you know, because if you get into that culture, what's not talked about outside of the Philippines is they're actually different islands and they have the different styles. So Arnis is a pretty particular version of, of what would be traditionally kali Escrima.
3: Correct.
1: Is it just Correct. because... The so trainer was there, or is it? Uh... Um,
2: my teacher uh, was instructed. His head instructor was uh, Professor Remy Perez. Hmm. So I, I don't know the <clears throat> excuse me the um, the politics of what goes on in Filipino, you know, stick fighting. I know you're right about the kali, but this was a different. Uh, yeah, it's
1: more blades in our knees. They focus more on that. Exactly. Yeah.
2: But Professor Perez was the uh, was, was the head guy as far as you know the you know the, the head of it the founder of our niece, which obviously is a, is a, is a, is a offshoot of Kali, just like a lot of these Krav Maga organizations, everybody's a sort of an offshoot of original, you know, Emi's original system. So it's yeah. pretty much the same thing, but it was, it was really, you know, it was good to learn. I've learned you know, a lot of stick fighting in that. And uh, like I said, some knife as well. And we, you know, we, we incorporate that into the to the Krav Maga as well. You know, some of those uh, techniques
1: yeah, just I'm um, looking it up. So uh, we're just looking up who the Grandmaster was right now. It's uh, Jose Mena, apparently. Just says, uh, Grandmaster Rernice Cali Escrima, 1970s, along with uh, Grandmaster Antonio Illustrimo. So Illustrimo is kind of in there too, right? Right. Uh, and, you know, you have the, uh, I think you have in the, because uh, I'm going to get yelled at by the Filipinos, but like the Escrima Cali, you have like the Dos Pérez, the Twelve Brothers or whatever, you know, different lineages some focus more on the, uh, the, the Arnie's being more focused on the blades and the machetes and right. styles more on the sticks. Although fundamentally they'll, they'll, they'll argue it to the death. It's basically a similar system, you know, probably closer in similarity than a lot of the craft styles, I would say, which is probably starting to some ways split. Yeah. Some ways not depending on who you talk
3: to.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How was that experience then?
2: Oh, it was good. It was good. That was, I took that, oh, like I said, back in 86, 87. Yeah. Um, you know, learned learned some things with that. And I, I obviously, with the, like I said, with the American Kempo, which was, you know, uh, the, the modernized version of karate basically for the streets at the time. Yeah. But I've also found that to, for me personally, that Krav is more geared for the streets than anything I've ever done before, oh, yeah. which is what I wanted for the job and, uh, you know, for, you know, it, just personal protection.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, nothing against Kempo. Like I've never done it personally, but I've seen the Kempo stuff and I've taught Krav to some Kempo people. And I'm just like, they're like, Oh, is this real. And I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the old school Kempo with the, the hardcore body conditioning, similar to like Okinawan karate, it's for sure legit. But if the, just the, the, I found a way, like they're still doing katas, and I'm like, people yeah. attack like that, man. Like,
2: <laughs> yeah, we did we did katas as well. It just not nothing practical about him. You know, I'm not going to knock any system. I think anyone who who is into uh, any kind of martial art, I I, I have to respect. Yeah. You know, I don't want to you know have a pissing match with anybody who's better than what me for me personally. I've found that Krav is the most realistic, and uh, I've used you know I've had to use it before, so I know you know, that it works. And, yeah. you know, the principles and objectives of Krav are different than most traditional martial arts. And I always tell my students with traditional martial arts, it's, you know, A, B, C, D, Ooh. the technique goes A, B, C, D. Well, if you're in a real life situation and you have A, B, and all of a sudden C gets taken out, they freeze because they're used to doing it in, in, in a set pattern,
3: yeah. you, the
2: way they train. Where in Krav, if something, you know, everything is static on the street, you you know as well as I do, it's static. It's, it's, it's frenzied. Yeah. And if you miss, a, you know, if something doesn't work, you just adapt. Yeah. Where in traditional martial arts, it just seems like they freeze. And I've seen that with some of my Ishin Ru students, where they'll freeze up on different things because it doesn't go exactly the way they practice it.
3: Yeah.
2: And you know that with Krav, it doesn't happen. We have objectives, we have principles, and if it doesn't work, what you know, perfectly, you you can a- adapt and adjust to hopefully, get to the
1: yeah. Well, hopefully, because yeah, it depends on the instructor, right? You know, I find like, if you teach a Krav class the way they do it in Israel, in a lot of places in North America, it's not, you're going to, your business is going to sink real fast because it's, it's too much for a lot of people here. Um, but then I've also seen like legit Krav Maga people teach total watered down garbage. And, you know, when I'm teaching, it's like, I, I, I'm trying to find that balance. Like I focus uh, for the beginners, principle principle critical thinking, learn how to think for violence. The techniques will help a little bit, but they're at a beginner level, it's not to like, to a real violence unless you're used to it, it's not gonna turn people on, especially if they grew up in the 90s, you know, like me, and they, somehow I escaped the whole brainwashing of, uh, you know, gold star for everything and all that nonsense. And, And, but a lot of these people, like I'm, I find I'm actually retraining a lot of people just how to even think and process, you know, I, I'm, you know, a conservative, not as different in Canada than in America, but it's, I get people who's like, I've never even heard this stuff before. I'm like, this is like basic logic.
3: <laughs> you know? right.
1: So it's, uh, and I, you know, I had someone say the other day, like, what do you mean they have a knife I should run? I thought you said I should attack. I'm like, well, that's the decision you have to make. You are right. in. And it's confusing the hell for people. Just the ability to make, that decision is like half of what I'm dealing with new, new people, you know, drilling aside. It's just they have to reframe how they're thinking because we're so soft nowadays, especially where, where I am.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're on the, the West coast. You, you know what? When, when I was taking crowds before um, when I was going to the school that you were at for the, for the seminar, I, I was going there before. That's where I actually got my black belt from. And I noticed as time was going on, things were getting easier and things were watered down. And I actually had to speak to uh, the instructor a couple of times. Like, look, you know, I want to go harder. I want this to be, you know, is, you know, something that's going it, to, it's worth my while to be yeah. here. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, a school that, that caters to the the suburban crowd where you barely break a sweat. And, you know, I'm not looking to, you know for people to get hurt. Of course not. Yeah. But I want the full intensity as much as I can because in a real-life situation, that's what it's going to be. Yeah. And you're right. As an instructor and running a school, I understand there's a, a balancing act you have to have where you don't want to kill people, yet you want them to learn you know the right way to do things. You know, As an instructor, and I'm sure you feel the same way as well, the, the, the thing I fear most as an instructor is you teach someone and they go on the street, and something, they get into a situation, a real life situation, and they freeze,
3: Yeah,
2: and they get hurt, or they get robbed, or whatever happens, it's a negative. As an instructor, I feel responsible. Yeah, I would feel responsible, like I didn't do enough to get them ready to prepare them for the street, which is the whole reason why they're coming to, to, to our school, is to learn how to defend themselves and have confidence that if something does happen, they're gonna be able to take care of themselves yeah. and get out of the situation un, uh, unhurt and, and alive. And, you know, that's my biggest fear as an instructor that happening And with our school, you know, and I been actually it's our five year anniversary.
3: Nice. Congrats.
2: Well, we, we haven't been open since March, but that's yeah. another story. It it counts.
3: Counts. It's, it's very bittersweet,
2: but you know, we tried from the get go to like, we want to train people and condition them mentally and physically and emotionally to be ready for whatever is going to happen on the street. Now. I've had complaints that I've trained people too hard. I've had a, a few, many complaints about the conditioning in the classes. And, you know, my response to that is I'm getting them prepared for the street. I'm getting them prepared for battle. And I want my students to be able to protect themselves and be competent in doing it and not gas themselves out if they do get in a situation where you end up fighting with multiple people or, or you know, just any situation where you're going to stay calm in the situation. Yeah. And that's what I—that's what we want. We want to train them so hard in the school and put them through so many, you know, situations that if it does happen, it's not, it, it, they're going to react the right way. They're going to, it's not even going to be a thinking about, it, it's going to be just a good reaction.
3: Yeah. You
2: know, we, we have um, a reality room at my school where there's a, uh, a carjacking scene, an elevator scene, an ATM scene, a bar scene. So we want to try to take people out of the dojo or gymnasium padded floor you know, situations and put them in situations where they're going to really be at an ATM or they're going to be in an elevator or they're going to be in their car and something's going to happen. And we have our guys geared up in the Spartan gear so that they can go as hard as they can without hurting anyone. Yeah. yeah. We, it, you know, and I, I think we're probably one of the schools that does, has, has done that, you know, and, you know, we, we just want to make this as, as real as possible without getting people hurt. Yeah. But again, one, my number one um, goal is that, you know, if something does happen to someone, they're going to get themselves out of it safely.
3: Yeah. Oh
1: yeah, that's for sure. The scenario based thing is common in Kravnaga. It's uh, you know, you know, I have a bit of a psychology background and, and sometimes that like, it's hard to do it in a lot of places. Right. And like here I was one of my advanced students. I'm doing uh, it was gun disarms. I'm using uh, fake pistols, but we're doing them outside in the car and it's every single We're up here. People are like, even with fake ones are freaking out and, you know, you have to try to do the best. Luckily, we've only, cops have come once or twice in my school history, but not, uh, it's, it's, it's hard. So given the city I'm in, I have to focus on the developing their nervous system. Because uh, right. I find, you know, while scenario-based stuff is excellent, it's actually the, the training of the nervous system that you're actually doing. I think when Israelis explaining to other people what they're doing, half the time, they don't even know what they're doing. They're just like, hey, it work, do it. But if right. take it, you know, break it down from a more scientific perspective, as, as reasonable as you can, it's it's training that nervous system not to get jacked up. And I Easy. teach I teach the Jeff Cooper color code system. Are you familiar with it? Um, what's it called? It's, it's originally an American thing. The Jeff Cooper color code: uh, white. Uh, what's it called? White, yellow, orange, red, and then black was added by the Marine Corps. Okay. Yeah, so it's essentially. You know, the way I teach it, it's like, hey, this is the combat approach. But a lot of you, at least here in schools, might have, have been told, you know, it's uh, being in tune with your feelings, you know, all that's a hippie crap. But the reality is all everyone is talking about is be aware of your nervous system, right? So, you know, there's a saying in martial arts, like the master has forgot everything. And, and I, what it really means is that their nervous system is totally calm and they're just kind of doing it. And so by doing scenario training, by doing aggressive training, which the Israelis kind of just sort of found through it works, uh, you're actually teaching people's nervous systems to stay calm in the moment so that they don't freeze, which would be in the color code system of black, right? Right. It could be, you know, freeze on itself might be like a tactile freeze where you're just what's that noise versus, uh, you know, you're playing possum, you're blacking out or even if you go full rage mode and kill 10 people and don't remember as far as i'm concerned that's still black because you're not sure. going to be able to defend yourself after the fact right so like that's the beauty of kramaga. regardless of you know the israeli's explanation is scenario based not scenario boss it's the intensity of that training which is actually exposure therapy for your nervous system to to realize oh shit, like i know this and then it doesn't freak out right if that makes no, sense.
2: Absolutely. I agree. You yeah. know, you know, when you get into a situation where, you know, your adrenaline is rushing, your cortisol's, everything is going, you know, berserk, you you know, your adrenaline s- switches on. And that's, you know, basically same, same premise is, you know, you try to get people to be able to control their adrenaline. And yeah. they're not, you know, that flight or flight kicks in, you know, we want them to fight. Yeah. If you can get out of there. And like you said, if somebody has a knife in front of you and you can escape, <laughs> then run then get away there's no reason to sit there and try to challenge the knife it's only in the situation where you're cornered or you you know you feel like you have no way out and you just have to react
3: oh absolutely yeah
2: you know but i hey i have no you know it, an instructor told me a long time my compo instructor he who fights and runs away lives to fight another day yeah yeah and it's 100 percent true
1: or uh though i like near's quote is uh, you win 100 percent of fights you're not
2: in right if you're not in exactly
1: it's a it's a very like I was watching a video a couple of weeks ago of it was an ATM robbing and the guy had tons of time to turn around and look at the guy and they was like, you know, five, ten feet in between him. He's standing. I can't remember knife or gun. And the guy just stops. It's like, dude, run. Like, what are you doing? Right. You know, and that's really what you have to train and uh, to get them used to it. Um, it's hard though to simulate in, in, in real life like that real, real fear. It's, it's almost impossible. You know, I don't know if you've, you've gotten it out of people, but.
2: I mean, as know. best as you can. I mean, I like to try to look at heart rates yeah. when, you know, my, me personally, when I, I've, I've gotten myself amped up to where I'm, I'm my heart rate is over one seventy five. Yeah. Just say hyped up to the point that, that adrenaline's kicking in. So when I'm training, I personally try to do that to myself is get myself so amped up that I'm heart rate's over 175. So I know exactly where I, how far I can go to, you know, to, uh, to get it there and to be able to react under that stress. And I try to do the same thing with the students, not that we're taking their heart rate, but I pretty much have a general idea where I need to be personally to get that heart rate in that situation where my adrenaline is just, just flying and being able to just control myself in that situation and to be able to still do the techniques and, yeah. and, 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 and get out of the situation and keep my head and yeah. not, not lose control.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny you say, like, I know in testing, like I've had a few students over the years who were just endurance freaks. Like they just don't get tired. And you know, there's one or two situations that really kicked in with It's like they had other styles behind them. And you could tell when they were actually getting tired and they were actually struggling because guess which techniques they started using? It wasn't the other ones. They all of a sudden started doing the Crowd ones that I just couldn't get them to do. And all of a sudden, under stress, despite the fact they had the training and the other stuff for much longer, they started doing the Crowd stuff because it was easier and it worked faster. Uh, you know, of course, the variations where you learn will be slightly different, but, uh, you know, that's really what it is. And if you can get your students tired, like you're saying, get their heart rate up, hopefully that's when you see it kicking in. Cause you know, I've found, I have a lot of students, you know, anxiety is through the roof these days. I don't know what it's like on the East coast. You guys are a bit tougher out there, <laughs> but the, the anxiety is through the roof. And I find a lot of people overthink, right. And when you, right. when you make it hard for them physically, they can't think anymore. And all of a sudden they just start doing, it, right. Absolutely. Yes. When I see that, you know,
2: absolutely. And the other thing too is when people start getting tired, they want to quit. Yeah you know, when they're not in the, you know, when, when they get to, you've got multiple attackers and we're going through this and I'm, I'm letting this go on for a while and they're getting tired and they want to stop. And I'm having to sit there and remind, this is your, this is your life. Keep going. Don't stop. You know, this is life or death. And this, this will be the situation. It's not always going to be easy to kick somebody in the groin and they're going to go down and it's over. No, it, it could go on for a while. It could be multiple people. And you know, we try to get that out of it to build up the conditioning you know, and even going back, Emi was the first one that, you know, when he started Krav, you know, physical fitness was a huge part of it as well. Yeah. And that's what, you know, with the army, you know, he's training the soldiers, conditioning them to fight. He's teaching them the, you know, the self-defense techniques, you know, besides the, you know, the shooting, you know, the firearms and everything else. He's teaching them how to defend themselves in hand-to-hand situations. Because, you know, even in Israel, not every situation is going to be, you're going to shoot somebody. You may end up, you know, in close quarters combat with them hand-to-hand or knife, you know, knife to knife or stick to stick. And, you know, we always try to, you know, get our students, you know, physically fit enough to fight. And I always use the story about Bruce Lee. And obviously, you know, Nir is also a, a Jeet Kune Do, uh, 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 I believe is a Jeet Kune Do black belt. So some of the stuff that Nier has with the with the crowd, I can just see a little Jeet Kune Do one as well. Um, but, you know, Bruce had the techniques down. He knew, just like Amy, Amy was the original, you know, hybrid... Instructor of putting everything together for the streets, and then Bruce Lee came along later with Jeet Kune Do, throwing boxing movements, fencing, wrestling, you know, karate, you know, everything good from all these systems into yeah. into his system. The one thing he was missing in the beginning was the fitness, and I'm I don't, I'm sure you know the story about him and Wong Jack Man when he was in San when he was in uh, San Francisco, I believe, and he was teaching in in San Francisco, and you know, he a, was a real cocky guy. Long story short, they had a challenge with the elders from Chinatown, with this guy from China, you know, style versus style. And Bruce got tired. He won the fight, but he got tired quickly. And he realized, look, I need to put more physical fitness into my style because I can know all the techniques in the world. If, if I get tired and I can't perform them, then, then I can't do anything.
3: Yeah. So that's what we,
2: you know, we try to do with Krav as well is, you know, it's about also being physically fit enough, you know, you know fighting fit. You know, uh, being fit enough to fight to get yourself out of the situation.
1: Yeah, and that's half the battle, right there. Yeah, so I mean, on that approach, I 100 percent agree. It's uh, what I find though is you can't make the craft class a fitness class because if you do, it looks like Taibo, right? And I've right. seen that, and then and in lots of schools, and they uh, like I tell people like, unfortunately, my schedule is limited. I don't have a full full time school, um, but it's like. I am not here to get you in shape but you will get in shape. Right. However, you need to live a healthy lifestyle it's a reasonably. Like I'm not a stickler like no sugar but you know sugar is not great for you. You avoid it when you can but if you need a cheat day whatever but if you let yourself be unhealthy and you can't run you're screwed. Like part of you know one uh, in my green belt test you have to be able to do 2k and then it starts going up above that Uh, because now you got the techniques down now you need to know you might have to be able to run but the whole point i'm like you need to be in shape if you can't run and you're too slow to fight you're no matter how big you are you might have a trouble might have trouble so again you know i think you got you guys have like separate fitness classes as well or
2: we do that as well we we have um uh cage fitness we have the the cage bags with the the, the the bags like torso with the handles on them so we have those, you know, half hour classes with those, um, you know, we try to incorporate a little of everything. We have a, you know, Brazilian jujitsu as well. Now in the school, Which we have awesome actually, nowadays, like,
1: I
3: think, yeah, yeah,
2: we actually have a, a Brazilian in the school teaching. He's a Brazilian champion.
3: Yeah. So,
2: you know, it, we brought him in as well, you know, for the authentic Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and he's fantastic. At least he's a, he's a, a champion from Brazil. Yeah. So we, we try to, we, we, we try to be well-rounded with everything, yeah. um, you know, to, to have lots of uh, different classes for people to, that they, they can take and, and take everything if they like, you know what I mean? We are, you know, have classes out, you know, day and night. So, you yeah. know, people do that. People will go to crowd classes, the jujitsu classes, the fitness classes, and it works out nice.
3: That's good. Uh,
1: now with that being said, like the ground and crowd my guy is such a touchy topic in many ways. Um, my solution was simply, I'm going to teach you the basics you're not going to be proficient because I don't have the time to make you proficient on the ground, do jiu-jitsu, judo, wrestling on the side, or I'm not giving you a black belt because, you know, the ground is so complicated that I, I, agree. I have to teach in Krav. I don't have the time to actually develop their skills like fully on the ground. So how do you guys approach
2: that? And with, with the, well, obviously with the Krav we teach, um, there are, Ground techniques as well. You know, you know, obviously, you know all the 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 uh, the techniques on the ground. So you're, you know, the, if you're mounted, if you're in the guard, if uh, you know if somebody's got you a headlock on the ground, which can easily happen in the street but, but you know, my 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 philosophy has always been the five second rule. Yeah. If you end up on the ground, you got five seconds to get your ass off the ground, or you're really in trouble. Because as much as I love Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and you know MMA, you know on the street there's cement. There's curbs, there's glass, there's rocks on the street. You don't want to be rolling around on the street. And the bigger concern you have is if you're rolling around with somebody on the ground, they pull out a weapon. And I've actually seen videos of a guy pulling out a knife while the guy's trying to get him in a leg lock and he gets stabbed in the heart and the chest. He's dead. Or everybody, I say, everybody has family and friends. You're wrestling around on the ground with somebody else and their their brother, their cousin, their friend comes up and starts booting you in the head. You have five seconds to get yourself off the ground in in a street fight. And if you don't, there's just going to be bigger problems. Yeah. So, I, you know, we try to get our students to do what they need to do on the ground and get their get themselves up as quick as possible.
1: Yeah, you yeah, know, I mean, it's just, totally it's to it's yeah, a, I, I have several students that are bigger than me. I do Brazilian, I'm almost a brown belt now, but they, oh, great. you know, I'm like, uh, you guys need to understand that you cannot rely on your size at all times. You know, I put them side control and they're stuck there for too <laughs> long. Right. So it's, uh, I th- I think actually one of my students is, is very fit a very competent martial arts. He got very pissed off about Joe Rogan's recent comment about Krav Maga. (laughs) And I was (laughs) like, hey, just so you know, sometimes he's like, Krav Maga is great, and then other times Krav Maga is shit. It really depends on what he said. But he was basically saying, like, if you take even an amateur MMA fighter nowadays, uh, and let's say there's no weapons, because obviously weapons change the dynamic, and they go up against the average pretty high-level Krav person, he was basically saying that crowd person has no chance. And he's in many ways probably correct because their skill level and fitness level is so high. The moment you go for their groin, uh, their eyes, they're gonna be like, oh no, you don't. And then there's a problem. So I think uh, while if you're a competent grappler and competent uh, crowd person, you're gonna recognize this and you're gonna get out. But I think a lot of people they don't know how to really judge their own skill set against someone who's, say, a professional or a high-level amateur, you know? Right.
2: Well, you know what? <clears throat> if you go into the cage, you're playing under their rules. There's a, it's a padded canvas floor, just like in a boxing ring. If I take somebody in a boxing ring, it, you know, it, it's a controlled environment. If you take an MMA person and put them on the street, on the ground, which is hard, as, you know, which is hard, They don't want to be rolling around the ground. No one wants to be rolling around the ground. No, And I would just say that, you know, that would be my first thought was I will go to poke the eyes. I would go for the groin. I would bite them, whatever I need to do to get myself off the ground. And I tell my students, do the same thing. You know, I'm not going to try to win a battle on the ground with somebody who's got jujitsu experience or an MMA fighter. But you know, I I remember when you were telling us and probably during our, our certification, you know, they get poked in the eye, they get five minutes to recover. They get hit in the groin, they get five minutes to recover. And, these guys sometimes don't recover in those five minutes. So my first thoughts and inkling is going to be the, uh, the eyes or the groin.
3: Yeah. Like I
2: said, you need to bite and you need to do whatever I need to do. I'm getting off the ground and you know, it, it's the best thing you can do. And there's a lot of guys out there on the street now who have taken some you know, MMA classes or they watch the UFC or, or, or uh, one championship, whatever they watch and they pick up the little moves or they, you know, and, you, and they want to take guy, people to the ground. And like I said, you know, Many people don't know what to do when they're on the ground, and like I said, and you just keep those principles in there. You want the groin, you want the eyes, you want to get off the ground. I want to make sure that they don't have a weapon in their hands. I want to make sure that somebody's not coming to boot me in the head as I'm trying to get off the ground. I mean, it, situational awareness goes a long way, and you know, the same way is in, in, you know when we train Krav is. When you're fighting one person, you're fighting many. And I tell my students all the time, I get done with one person and, you know, I learned this, the whole scan technique when I was in Israel with uh, Krav Maga Global, where they really overemphasize the, the, mm-hmm. the scan, but they're right. Everyone has family and friends and you're dealing with one person and you better do that 360 degree turn and look to see what's around you who's coming at you next. Because in, in this day and age, you're going to be fighting more than one person a lot of the time, oh, yeah. especially if you're kicking the shit out of them. Oh, yeah. You're going to have somebody else going to try to get involved. Yeah. And you have to have that situa- situational awareness to know that, you know, and not that tunnel vision where you're just focused on this person, not having any idea what's going on around you.
1: Yeah. And, and with and that, that being you- said, like, you know, I'm in Vancouver. I always tell people, like, if you think Vancouver, Canada is dangerous, you know, you're wrong. Like people here are, you know, crazy. And then you're in New York state. East coast has a reputation for being a bit more aggressive in, the, in a more, it's more common for street fights to break out uh compared to here it's not a i can't remember the last time i saw some random guys brawling on the street that weren't just shit based out of their minds you know right. you know so i think that the environment also will it changes people now on that note you, you're up in buffalo i've heard yeah. like some stories that the crime in new york is going through the roof is that it is. pertaining to just the the city or uh, up where you are as
2: no, well it's the whole state because um what this state has now um the the governor who is a very democratic liberal governor
3: yeah
2: uh, they put in something called bail reform, which basically means you know there there's there's uh, very liberal attorneys who are complaining that let's say a uh, a black male gets arrested mm-hmm. and a lot of these guys are don't have money and they can't they don't have enough money for bail, so they 'll sit in jail for a couple of days until they, they go before the judge and they're arraigned. And they said, that's, that's unfair that they, they can't afford bail. So they're going to sit in jail while people like uh, you or I, you know we, can, we, we, you know, we can afford an attorney. We can afford to post our bail and get out of jail that same night. Mm-hmm. So they started something called bail reform, which basically means that unless you murder someone in this state, you are not going to jail. Yeah. You can smash somebody's windows. You can punch somebody in the face. You can do whatever you want to them. You'll get arrested. You'll get processed. You'll get fingerprinted, and you'll be given the appearance ticket to appear in court at a later date. And basically, for us as police officers, that's just giving people a license to do whatever the heck they want to do because there's no consequences for what they're doing. Yeah. You know, we've had domestics where a, a guy gets drunk, he beats the shit out of his wife. You arrest him for domestic violence, and before you know it, he's processed. He's going back to the house for round two.
3: Yeah. it's it
2: just it, it's making our jobs. Much, much more difficult, and you know it, it's taking away any kind of punishment for any anything people are doing. Yeah. They go to court at a later date and you know they 're not punished that night for what they're doing and it just like I said, unless it's something serious honestly an attempted murder or murder you 're not going to sit in jail for one night, yeah. and it just makes our jobs a lot harder.
1: Yeah. I do want to get really into this subject, but before we do that, maybe you just back up a bit and talk about you, how when you got into policing, what sure. your, your experience in policing, et cetera.
2: I've been a police officer for twenty three years.
1: Quite quite, quite the, the career.
2: Yeah, start to see the wrinkles on my face now. Yeah. <laughs> um I've been a police officer for twenty three years. I've uh worked on the you know, the bike patrol, the bicycle patrol, the SWAT team. Um pretty much, you know, been, been a patrol officer most of my career. Hmm.
1: Were you like, I, maybe I'm imagining, were you like a transit at one point? or, or
2: something? Yeah, I am still a transit. I was also a housing police officer at the beginning of my career. Basically, the housing projects in the Buffalo area. Hmm. Now it's mostly a transit, you know, airport, subways, buses, all of that
1: you've pretty much done everything as an officer could do as far as the breadth of the career. Then.
2: Well, I'll tell you what I've, uh, everything from a plane crash to, to shootings. I've done it all. I've seen everything in my career. Um, I, I would put my career up against many other people because I pretty much have seen everything that can be seen, unfortunately. Yeah.
3: yeah.
1: So you have a lot of experience and, uh, the state of policing, uh, in, Luckily, it's kind of, they've put a stop to it a little bit here, the nonsense that's going on down in the States that people have tried up in Canada and the city council is just kind of get out. We'll listen to you. Okay, good. Get out. Um, How do you feel about what's going on? Well,
2: it's it's difficult. You know, it's difficult because the majority of us, I would say the vast majority of officers and I've had a 23 year career Um, I know officers from other departments. I've teach, I train a lot of police officers, law enforcement officers at, at, at SPAR in my classes. Um, all of us, most of the guys are just good people. They want to go home at night. It's the number one, you know, our number one objective is to go home safely every night to our families. Um, the perception that there's so many bad police officers out there. It just, it's, listen, one can make, one can make it difficult for all of us. There's no doubt about it. When a police officer, does something that people don't like or something happens where someone is hurt or, or killed, you know, we're, you know, we're under the microscope, especially, especially now. I mean, even before the George Floyd incident, you know, my students are telling me like, you know, with, with the cameras now, and especially the cameras get the last 30 seconds of an incident yeah. and not the whole incident and yeah. really seeing the ending of what happened in, you know, guys are afraid to do their jobs. You have to, you know, it's, it's almost become a damned if you do a damned if you don't, but yeah. more damned if you do type of uh, thing going on here. Um, you don't want to feel like you're going to lose your job for doing your job. Yeah. yeah. And that's become a problem. And you know, it's only gotten worse, the whole George flight incident. And look, when that first happened, I watched it on TV and I thought to myself, what is his objective right now? What is he doing? Why isn't he, why isn't he doing anything? What, what, what's the whole end game here? He's on the ground. He's coughed yeah. he's on his stomach. Where is he going? Yeah. But, watching the, the whole video itself, the whole 20 minutes body cam, um, you know, they did everything they could. First of all, you know, he had enough fentanyl in the system to kill two people. He's a big guy. With most people
1: enough. didn't pick up on that because they'd already been spun in a certain story. And then yeah. I heard that. I was like, are you kidding me?
2: Well, he did. He, you know, the toxicology reports came out when they first showed up on scene. He was in his car. Um, you know, he was, you know, foaming at the mouth. He, w- he was uh, incoherent. And when they, they did everything they could, they were talking to him nicely. And then he, as soon as they tried to put him in the patrol car, he started freaking out. I'm claustrophobic. I'm this, I'm that. You know, you were just in a car. You're a big guy in a small little, uh, you know, compact car. Now you're claustrophobic. And you know what? He ended up on the, on, on his stomach and you know, he definitely overdosed.
3: Yeah.
2: Now what that officer Chauvin did was terrible tactics. Why he didn't need to be on his neck. We could have let him lay there and waited for the ambulance. They were waiting for an ambulance for that's where they were waiting. Um, He didn't, he wasn't going anywhere. He was on his stomach cuffed. He wasn't leaving town. Um, He didn't have to be on his neck. And also they didn't have any Narcan, which we all pretty much, most departments have Narcan now. So if he is overdosing, you can give him the Narcan and he's going to recover. And they didn't have that either. So, you know, I think it's all going to come out in court. And unfortunately, if it, if the facts are the facts, he's probably going to get off and it's going to make this country, uh, it, it, this country is going to, be, yeah. it, it, it's going to be anarchy in the country. And it's a shame that now that any incident now that's gone on since then, now we had an incident in Chicago about a month ago where a suspect was firing on an officer. He returns fire. He shoots the guy and they're protesting in the streets that he, sh- that this man was shot in the back. Well, the body cam showed he, this guy was running and shooting at the officer the officer returned fire, and he was hit. Yeah. You know, where do we draw the line here? Of you know, police being able to do their jobs. That the you know, the the elected officials. Our governor has come out and criticized the police. You know, what happened in Minneapolis? He's criticizing the police. You know, we the mayor of New York, De Blasio, does not have his police back. He wants them going out there and and and, and writing tickets for people without not not wearing masks. But when they fight with the police, and all of a sudden, the police are wrong. Yeah. It's just a terrible time to be a police officer. And honestly, I can't wait to retire. Yeah. I got a couple of years to do and that's going to be it. It's just, it's the climate is not the same anymore. You know, I, I know how most people feel. I've been in the um, the meetings, the community meetings, the, you know, the crime prevention meetings, the, um, the, the block club meetings over the years when I was in housing. And, you know, people just want safe neighborhoods. The, yeah. the people who mind their business, just they don't want to have any problems. They just want to have a safe neighborhood. You know and and i've been told before look if something happens you know i'm not going to say anything because you're not there to protect me so i'm going to stay quiet because a lot of times there's crimes and we you know we go looking for witnesses to incidents and no one wants to say anything yeah because most people are scared
3: yeah
2: and you know most of the complaints in those meetings are just about getting the drug dealers off the streets not the police beating people off yeah. you know it's, it's just a shame how the perception from the media as well and you know i have uh, some friends i i play soccer with and one of the guys who you know knows i'm a police officer made a comment to me he's like well if you guys would just uh, turn each other in when you're when you're uh, acting badly i said you know when you're when you're, you know you're overdoing it on people i said let me tell you something my biggest fear as a police officer for 23 years wasn't any of my fellow officers going to overdo it it's if the situation gets bad are they going to be there to back me up it's yeah. my bigger concern and uh you know and, and that's where we're at, and they want to start defunding police departments. We don't have enough funding as is yeah we don't have enough funding for training or or, or extra firearms shooting. We qualify once a year you know there's no money for for ammunition I mean and they want to start taking more money away It's like you can't have it both ways. you can't take away the police and expect safety it's just isn't it going to happen
1: yeah, I think uh you know i I was watching the debate the other day, much more civil this time, um yeah, absolutely uh. But the, I was just watching the reactions to Trump's comment on the coyote. And it, the amount of people who don't don't even understand what he's referencing, being that he's talking about illegal traffickers or called coyotes when they're coming from Mexico, and people are just like, he's talking, he's calling Mexicans coyotes, or he's calling, you know, and it's like, okay, this is the problem. And on both sides, to be fair, on both sides, is people don't know what the fuck they're doing. No, the, the,
2: the media does not not. Trump has been uh, persistent with getting you know the human traffickers
3: yeah.
2: with with, uh, with these children being trafficked. I mean, he they, you know they're making a lot of arrests around the country. Yeah. It's not really being covered by too many media outlets, but they're really putting a dent to a lot of human trafficking, especially with these poor children. Yeah, you know, and it's not getting covered. And yeah, you're right. When people when you say coyote, people most people probably did not know what he was talking about. You know, I, I will say that Donald Trump does is pro police. And I know Joe Biden has now twice said that police should shoot suspects in the legs
3: <laughs> Good luck to them. stop
2: them. <laughs> he, he has no concept of what he's saying. I mean, and this is why no police department is backing him to become to, to, for first presidency because when you make ridiculous comments like that and you know, you're giving these groups, including Antifa, you're giving them a platform and you're, you're fueling their, you're, you're fueling their anger you're, giving, you're adding fuel to the fire and they're fighting with the police on the streets. I mean... You
1: no, know, this could be considered conspiracy. I suspect uh, that, let's say Trump loses, it's all going to disappear. COVID lockdowns are going to go away. Uh, I do believe all that's that. It's going to disappear. And to me, if that happens pretty quickly, then, and if you still can't understand, there's something, whatever it is, is going on behind the scenes that you're just not paying attention to then I don't know what to tell Americans because it's clearly there. Um, you know, and the the, the trafficking thing is is so fascinating to me because this is a thing that almost all human beings will agree, Hey, don't screw with kids and other people's kids. It's not okay. In almost any culture, you know, there's exception. We won't get into that. And definitively by the arrest numbers, they have been going after human trafficking a whole crap load more under this administration No one's talking about it. I mean, the Epstein thing, which is disgusting, that no one's in jail for that. I mean, he was briefly. Uh, Not
3: yet.
2: Not yet, but let's give it some more time. There probably will be. And it's
1: like they're acting, at least on the surface, that this isn't going on. I have a student here that's taking criminology that is discussing the extremely high rates of human trafficking. Globally, it's still there. Uh, you know, the police are arresting people left, right, and center, they're busting huge rings. There have been politicians arrested for this, you don't hear about it anywhere. No. And then, you know, uh, to pretend like nothing good has come out of this administration is, is to me crazy. And, and then, people just don't know the crime stuff, they don't know the use of force models, they don't know what's really going on. Everyone wants to pretend, you know, they live in the little bubbles, you know, right, right and left. Cause the pizza gate thing did not help the cause. No. All. that's the right wing crazies on that side. Um, but someone, I was talking to someone that said, you know, not that informed, but they said "Oh, that pizza gate thing. I'm like, yeah, okay. That was crazy. But are you aware that the arrests have gone through the roof for this stuff? actively and they're like, oh, I didn't even know it's, a, it's still a problem. So it's most people don't see it and it doesn't exist. You know. Well,
2: they don't know. That's the problem. The, the media isn't covering it. You know, the media in this country does not like Donald Trump. Yeah. No matter what he does and this started when he started, you know, when he was ran for president, he basically got on the media's bad side um you know there's i'm sure there's a lot of things behind the scenes donald trump was a liked person when he was just uh doing a show on tv and he was a you know a millionaire and he had the hotels and he was having uh, boxing matches at trump plaza He you know he had all these people as friends and he, he got into politics and It all changed um but they're not going to report anything good he does and this is why he takes to twitter and i'm listen i'm not i sometimes don't like what he puts on there but i realize that <laughs> he has n- he has no other avenue, and you yeah. know what he's not a politician. this guy is a businessman he 's not going to sugarcoat, and sometimes he 's going to say things that are just going to make you either or, or, or laugh or, or just shake your head like what what the hell is he just say? what's he saying
3: yeah. but
2: you know i 've come to, to just understand that 's the person he is, yeah. and you know as long as you know in these four years i mean my my investments have gone gone up, Um, you know, we've all made, making more money. So there's a lot of positives. We're not in any, he's not putting us into any other wars. So I, you know, and I know some people who know Donald Trump, you know, I actually have friends who are, who know Donald Trump and uh, from boxing, from the boxing business, you know, both black, white, Hispanic, and they all like this man. They all are for Donald Trump. You know, he's done things behind the scenes uh, helping some fighters out who are down on their luck and he doesn't get the he doesn't want to get out into the media but he's helped a lot of fighters out who are you know who are broke and down and out and giving them jobs or giving them money and you know it's not reported he doesn't want people knowing he does stuff like that but yeah. everyone I know who's you know Mike Tyson is a big fan of Donald Trump Don King the promoter yeah. friends with Donald Trump I mean these are all people who you know they know he's not a racist yeah. I, you know it's just you know, for me, you know, I don't. I hate being political, but you know, he has, he he's pro law enforcement. So how can I not like him? And I've got the other uh, the other guy saying we should shoot people in the legs. And his vice president, his uh, his, his vice presidential candidate, is uh, not pro police either. So you know, that's where my my loyalties lay in whoever's for the police and you know law and order.
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny. I just it's find it hilarious and infuriating. Uh, you know, most, most Americans know little about politics outside the country, but I'm in Canada and everyone is just shitting on Trump. You know, I'm one of the few people who's like, yeah, well, why don't you look into some of this stuff? Meanwhile, our own prime minister has had multiple ethics violations, which is equivalent to a goddamn impeachment multiple times, but it, it's like meaningless here. But yeah. it was, dude, if this guy was in a lot of other countries, the guy would be in jail. Like South Korea, when that happened with the whole Samsung corruption, they've gone. Right. And yeah. I'm just like, why are you yelling at him? As far as I know, no matter what your opinion, and he hasn't actually broken any laws Eh, questionable things that may be, but ours has broken laws, and no one's yeah. doing anything about it. And it's just insane that this has become this focal point. And meanwhile, you know, in America, I, the blue states are not doing so hot. And, no. uh, you know, that's my other concern for you guys in, in like New York and California in particular is if if you do get a wave, a blue wave, I think America is not gonna be America anymore in about twenty years. I think it'll
3: be Canada. Yeah,
1: you well, you're gonna get like <laughs> Texas saying we're gonna uh, execute our right to leave the union, and then it'll just collapse from there. It,
2: it could, it could. You know, uh, you know, my wife is Canadian. I think I told you that. So her family yeah. still lives in Toronto. Yeah, they don't,
1: don't know, move to Toronto.
2: No, no, no. It's a nice place to visit. But um, you know, they don't get the news. They they get the same type of news down up there about how bad Trump is, and you know the the news networks up there pretty much cover what the CNN down here covers and MSNBC. Not as bad. There.
1: Like you know, I I can't watch Fox or CNN because it's just entertainment, not anything meaningful. I mean, CNN pisses me off a lot more, but uh, Fox is I don't watch either. Um, but I, I, the Canadian news is is a little bit more traditional and it's a bit more neutral. You know, an example would be if there's an active crime thing going on in Canada, there is an understanding between the media. Don't talk about the person's name, like a shooter, for example. Keep it quiet, it's still an active investigation. And this is why a lot of stuff gets sorted out here a lot easier, because over there, I I remember, I forgot, last time there was a major, not the Nova Scotia one, which is a crazy, corrupt looking disaster, before that, and the American news were like, we got the guy's name. And because they released it, the Canadians like, ah, crap. Now we got to say the name, too. But they're like, this is not how Canadian policing or news works. They actually work a little bit right. more in tune together here uh, to the best of within reason. You know, obviously, if there's a major public thing, then they can't keep quiet on it. But I hear every, every once in a while, I'll get someone telling me something, some crazy terrorist plot or some crazy thing in Canada that got shut down quietly. and No one knew about it all but if that was in america it'd be like the next cycle until it's not the cycle anymore you know sure so
2: you know everything down here down here everything has now become agenda-based yeah you know when i was growing up i watched the news it was like you know they reported the news there was no slants and you believed what you were hearing now you watch the news and you're getting slanted stories that to their to whoever's agenda and you know i don't believe i don't watch the news anymore to be honest with you most of the news i don't watch
1: yeah you know it's funny uh I was I was at someone's house for a few days, and the, their parents uh, they just they, for what? And their English isn't even their first language, and they they like to have the news on constantly. And I'm not I haven't done that, you know, since I haven't been living with my parents for a long time. They used to have the news on all the time, and I'm just like, no wonder people are so angry. Even the Canadian news, I'm like, could you shut up about the same thing over and over and o- up here? It's you know the covid and there's a few elections going on too and i'm just like man this is why people are so angry all the time sure go do something else like i get my news from various podcasts for the most part occasionally i'll tune in uh tune into to to television just because you see what talking but it's just like i find that you get a much more neutral even if you're going with a side that is um you know you know i know they're right-wing bias i know they're left-wing bias i still find that they're a lot more neutral as a whole and it's more tolerable and then i can listen to it when my my nervous system is not jacked up so that i'm not like on this constant loop of oh my god oh my god right so i think that entertainment of the news and the clickbait of the internet has just made things like crazy and there's so much information about all topics not just you know newsworthy topics uh, that uh, people can't keep track anymore and, and no one knows what to believe even you know like the COVID thing you know I'd like to think that I'm a fairly educated I really understand science and I say that not as someone who's done it as a living but by talking to other people I can see that even people who are in the field of science half the time don't even understand, say, scientific method. And so COVID just really emphasized the problem in the scientific community. You know, and was, I, I, I realized this when I was in university. This is it's, it's not what they think it is. It's become a cult, just like they accuse religious people of being culty. And, and it's the same behavior. It's like, well, uh, you know, I was listening to this other podcast, uh, Naval Ramakant, and he was talking about science needs to be felt you know you need to be able to prove it right or wrong definitively And if you can't do that if you're just bickering and you're not trying to find the right or wrong definitively guess what guys you're not doing science you know and all this uh, appeal i'm a scientist listen to me dude you're an er doctor you're not expert on any of this shit so get off the tv you know that happens all the time in canada with the gun thing they can pull up er doctors and ban guns guns are bad it's like hey man you, you don't know what you're talking about. And they get yelled at all the time. It's like, get off the TV. You don't belong there. And then when they... Because if you actually listen to the experts about pandemics, I was reading a book um, from a person who wrote it before this pandemic. What... You actually start to see is all governments completely screwed up because they were ignoring these people the entire time, and the mass shortage should never happened, and all this other stuff should have never happened and they actually knew better and it was really actually complete global government failures to do what they're supposed to do that's what the experts were saying years ago, and yet now when they come out and talk about it they're crazy people it's like wait what i don't <laughs> I, they were right dude you know I that happened here too uh, after SARS cov one they Canada, all the paramedics, they got all of their PPE gear all ready to go. Pretty much across the country, they didn't get new equipment when it expired. And they're like, ah, it's it's fine. You don't need to. And then boom. Like, guys, come on, man. Like, you knew this. The experts have been telling you for years. You're choosing to ignore it because it costs money and it's not going to get you reelected. Even though if your party's in power, when something hits the fan, if you have to do this stuff, you'll be fine. You know? Sure but most people can't even figure this stuff out because it's so you have to understand basic biology, like to understand RNA versus DNA viruses. That's why vaccines for this one are probably going to be the same as a regular flu, flu thing every year. Um, you know, you have to understand the politics of it, the money you got. And for most people it's just so over their head and then everyone's going crazy. It's so why I keep telling people, um, they're martial arts and get guns.
2: <laughs> get guns absolutely. You, you, absolutely.
1: You, you don't know. I, I know New York's got some, I'm not really sure the laws there are like, you can have guns, but not really. And it's pretty strict.
2: Well, we have, we have, uh, you know, you're, you're allowed to have guns. You know, we have pistol permits throughout our, our you know, it, it, throughout our state. So we are allowed to have guns. You got go to go obviously go through a pretty expensive background check. As, yeah. as, you know, as far as where I live, you know, even me as a police officer, it took a couple months months to, to get my pistol permit. Um, but yeah, they're, you know, eventually I'm, I'm sure this, the, the Democrats in this state, we're probably gonna want to take the guns away. I mean, it's, you know, this is, what they're, you know this it, is yeah. what they're going towards. This is what the Democrats are going towards is they take guns away. And I think near put it best about Canada. The only people in Canada who have guns are the bad guys. Yeah. So, you I know, mean, we don't
1: put it true. I mean, you know, near is great, but he's a little hard line sometimes. Um, <laughs> you know, one thing I, I will be harsh on police officers as a whole is the psychological aspects of your job you're gonna get jaded a lot of the time like a lot of the, the the issue of drugs is a thing i often butt heads with police officers in in america in particular because the, you know the, I'm sorry but the war on drugs completely failed and once you start to understand it's ongoing what yeah it's ongoing,
3: ongoing. not
1: ending um but like and I, I totally am against the total like, left-wing approach, the hippie crap. Like, ooh, your feelings. Because that's just not how it works. But your job inherently will make you jaded and yeah. be exposed to it. And you know, statistically in Canada, yes, the criminals doing most of the issues. Major gun issues is all done illegally with illegal guns under illegal circumstances. It's not how the stats actually show. Most people die of uh, suicide-related deaths with guns in Canada um but you know in new york having background checks i think is a good thing because there's a lot of crazies in america that probably shouldn't have guns and i know it's a touchy topic um but from a historical standpoint i totally understand if i was american i'd be like nope i can see what the democrats are doing not a chance taking away. but you know that is it it's a contentious issue that some people probably shouldn't have guns that are not criminals and some people yeah, I completely understand. Criminals don't care about the law, and that's something the other side needs to get in their head. Um, but what do you like? What are your stances kind of on
3: that?
2: Well, I think anyone who's a law-abiding citizen who pays their taxes should be able to protect themselves. Obviously, you know, law-abiding, yeah. you know, who, who are you know of sound mind who aren't crazy, you know, the guns. I've the people I've come across with guns have all been criminals. Yeah. I've been gangbangers, you know, they're not getting their guns legally, oh, of
3: course. And,
2: you know, even in Canada. Now, like I said, a few times, my, my wife's family's from Toronto, I get the Toronto news here. And there's areas of, of Toronto that there's are every single day. Yeah. There's gang, there, there are ethnic gangs, you know, uh, up there. They're, they're having gang wars. It and goes on left and right.
1: Not to interrupt too much, but okay. Toronto is one of the most left-wing cities, if not the most left-wing city in the country. And they're having the same problems with crime because they're being too light on the wrong people and too harsh on the wrong people. And it's a just, it, you know, no matter what your country is and the, and the style of governance, it's, it's, it's people are people, right? And, and one thing I, I wish they would do in America is talk about other countries and what they do it'll give some context about the it'll separate the bullshit politics and be like oh well they're doing this that works and they're doing this it doesn't work but one thing that's for sure banning guns does not reduce crime yeah extreme left-wing policies and ideologies uh, implemented incorrectly a lot most of the time uh crime goes up like toronto is a shooting gallery right now Montreal. It's been corrupt forever because the mafia, et cetera, have been involved forever, and they've never cleaned it up, really. Um, But we don't, like, Vancouver is a pretty left-wing city, but they don't implement these insane policies all the time, you know, and they've managed to to crime. If if crime gets, like, last time there was a gang war here that got out of control, oh, you better believe they stomped on them, and it, it disappeared for a while. And then, of course, they get that courage to come up again, and then they stomp on them again. Right but in like toronto it's just like man they're over there whatever the whole country needs to ban guns no
3: (laughs)
2: that's just ridiculous like i said i have nothing against people who who legally have guns i you know they're not the problem they're not the problem they go through the background checks they're you know like i said no criminal record no mental health history i have no problem with people having guns like i said we don't want to turn into a country where the only people who have the guns are the bad guys because no matter what we do just like with drugs they'll find a way to get guns in this country when yeah. they can ban them all they want other countries have banned firearms and there's still gangs there and all the you know the bad guys can still get them yeah. uh we've banned you know there's drugs are illegal here but people can still get heroin people can still get cocaine crack i mean you know i when i first started policing crack was huge in buffalo yeah you know everywhere you, you, you it's easy. It's easy enough to get crack on the street as it would be to go to the supermarket to buy a, a, you know, some toothpaste. That's how easy it is. It's always all over the place.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: you know, it, it, so no matter what you do, you can ban everything, but there's still going to be ways people are going to get it. It's the way wow. things have always been. So why, why make the people who are doing everything the right way? Why punish them? Yeah. If somebody wants to have a gun in their house for protection. And like I said, there are law-abiding, tax-paying citizens, and why shouldn't they be able to? Those aren't the people we have a problem with.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. I mean, I agree. I, the Self-defense laws here in Canada, you, you basically, for all intents and purposes, can't really use a gun for self-defense. There are cases that, yes, people have used it and they've gotten off, but it gets so gray and complicated here. It's like... Yeah, I know they've kicked in your door and broke it down. But if you shot them, you're probably going to, they're going to charge you with at least something. And it's like, eh. and then I talk to the average Canadians and they're like, what do you mean I can't shoot them if they kick my door in in the middle of the night? And I'm like, yeah, you're probably going to go to jail if you do that. I mean, yeah, there are cases where they got off as a Uh, self-defense. It stuck and like they got off on self-defense. But yeah, the media picked up their story and now they can't get a job anywhere right? That's crazy. Yeah. That's so crazy. It, it's, it's, there's the self-defense aspect up here, not being able to do that, I think is slightly problematic. Uh, I do think you should be trained, but um, you know, in the, in the, in the States, you know, it, it's confusing for people because one thing people forget every state is different. The laws are different. Um, some, some, a lot of times, like the, the several of the mass shootings in Florida were totally on the government for not doing their jobs, you know, arresting the people when they were supposed to and, and doing on that. And then it just gets play, played politics. You know, and I tell people, you know, as far as get guns and learn martial arts, what happens if shit hits the fan? And I actually use COVID as an example. I'm like, you see how crazy people acted with this? It is a pandemic, but you weren't seeing people drop dead in the streets. So imagine if something actually went out there that was <laughs> dropping bodies left, right, and center or an actual war broke out what are you going to do then? You're screwed, and now your your lineage, your family you know, if you're into evolution, you're into whatever. But your ability to pass on your family is gone now because you screwed up and didn't prepare for the proper future. You know, same thing here. The police don't you know get enough training at all, and, and so it's like they're like, leave it to the trained professionals. I'm like, well, most of them are
3: not.
2: <laughs> you, know, you know what? It, 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 let's start out with. With the academy. When most police officers go to the academy, it's you know 24 to 26 weeks. As far as defensive tactics go, and now I have friends, guys I work with who are actually teach in the academy defensive tactics.
3: Yeah.
2: In New York State, and I probably most states, it's all about liability, it's not yeah. about our safety.
3: Yeah,
2: they're teaching uh wrist locks and controls that way. In my 23 years as a police officer, I've never used a wrist lock yeah. on anyone
3: because it's there's, really, you know, yeah,
2: I mean, it's ridiculous. You know. You get somebody who's double jointed or even worse. And this is happening. You get somebody on PCP or bat salts. Good luck in trying to get a risk control on them and trying to control them that way. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And this is in, you know, I just remember being in the Academy and seeing some of the guys in, you know, you know I, you know, I had the boxing experience. I had some martial arts experience. And I'm seeing some of our guys have never been in a street fight in their lives. And they're trying to learn these techniques or just learning to fight period. You know, I, I just don't think a lot of guys are prepared for what can happen out there. And somebody doesn't, if somebody resists you, now you get, you get conditioned to, okay, you're under arrest or put your hands behind your back and you're, you get conditioned that people are going to do that. Well, when people start saying, no, I'm not going to put my hands behind my back or fuck you. I'm not going to jail today. yeah, Just put people in a, in a situation where fear can easily take over. We don't get enough training. And you know, I always wanted to just, I enjoy having police officers as students because I, they want to be there, yeah. you know, to teach in the academy. These guys all have to be there. It's just part of the curriculum. They have to take it. But, you know, the police officers who want to learn more, you know, who really do care about their safety and, 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 and you know, want to be prepared. And I always enjoy teaching police officers because we, we need this training more than anyone else. because we are going to be fighting with people we are going to have people tell us i am not going back to jail i will die before i go back to jail you're going to have people pulling weapons on you you're going to have people fighting with you now in this day and age it's not such a big thing to start a fight and start beating the shit out of a police officer it's i'm watching it happen all the time which isn't it's just crazy people don't have respect anymore for the police yeah and you know it's media driven it's politics and you know so yes, we need more training. And you know what? I've told any of the guys I work with, or anybody in general in law enforcement, hey, I don't care about the money. Just let's train. Let's yeah. let's go over some techniques. Let's go over tactics, because we need we need the training. As a, you know, it, it, it hurts me, personally hurts me when I see police officers getting hurt. Or if I'm watching a video. I was watching a video a couple of days ago of a police officer on the ground, mounted, and this guy just keeps beating the shit out of him while people are filming it, cheering.
3: Yeah, I think South- I saw that,
2: yeah, yeah. South Carolina a couple of nights ago. And I'm just thinking, why why didn't they just try to buck him and roll him? He, obviously, he doesn't know the technique. Yeah. But simple things like that. This guy's on top of him. He's mounted and he's taking a beating. And, he's getting, and he ended up getting uh, airlifted to the hospital yeah. from a helicopter after the beating. And people are not helping. People are sitting there cheering and filming and cheering and, and, and egging this guy on to hurt the police officer. This guy's got no backup. And, you know, so for me personally, I, yeah, we definitely need more training you know you can we can learn all the de-escalation things we want and we, you know believe me i've always said i get paid the same whether somebody goes down easy or they go down hard yeah. i want to take easy all day i'll try to talk someone down and de a situation yeah but sometimes it's just it's not an option and you have to be prepared for what's going to happen next
1: oh yeah you know like that actually brings up a point about uh, mental health you know i'm both personally and, and friends and family dealing with mental health and a psychology background. Again, like I've, I'm starting to see like the society, I, it's a lot of people have this idea that you need to like cuddle people who are mentally ill. And then if you realize that you don't even know, I know people who I don't even know that they're not there anymore because they're still talking and they're still having a conversation though. It's heated, but they're actually mentally not there anymore. And, the de-escalation tactics often will only work if A, you're someone like uh, that Rich boss guy who's just like a natural, like calm, like just has it, that like one in a, a million type a, a negotiator, uh, which is a skill that I, I just don't think you can ultimately learn too much. It's, some people have it, some people don't. Right? Unless you really know them, you're not calming them down, especially if they already have animosity towards you in a uniform, right? right. And, and people have gotten this idea you know, no, don't treat them like, you know, animals like they used to in like the fifties just because they're mentally ill, but I'm sorry, they're not there right now. And the conversation is not, is not going to work. And, and if you're an officer, you can't, you don't know them. You don't know what's their, their triggers and what's their keywords. You don't really have time to risk your life or theirs because right. they're not there anymore. And, and it, the, the public needs to be aware, but they're trying to protect, like I saw the psychology field. It's gone so far. La la land that it's like we in Vancouver and in, in whenever they closed it down, they closed the mental hospital. Where are they all now? They're all on the streets, right? right? And people were still trying to sell this bullshit that everyone on the streets is just running away from home. Like it was in the sixties, seventies and eighties, but it's like, not like that anymore. Now it's a lot of drug addicts. It's a lot of, um, you know, crazy people, whether, you know, I'm sorry, they're crazy. If you compare them to the average person and you cannot have a rational conversation, even if they're, even if someone is normal today I could be having a conversation where they're acting crazy and you know, Oh, but they're people. I understand they're people. I am not saying they're not people, but if they're unable to reasonably interact in society in a way that's conducive to everybody's health and safety, um, you know, an example, we have the safe injection sites here and I like, are you familiar with that at all? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have a problem with the concept of a safe injection site. Um, What the problem is becoming now is they leave their needles everywhere outside the safe injection site. They're starting to allow them to go into close to school zones. And they're like, oh, hold on a second. We legalize marijuana. And you had a rule that the marijuana stores cannot be within X amount of uh, place of the uh, school zones, but you're going to put a safe injection site right up the block from, like, what is wrong with you people? And, And, you know, this is this whole, like, This is where I think on the right, the whole like safe injection sites are stupid. Well, research says otherwise, but it's the implementation of how you do it that is the problem, right? And and, because what they'll do is they'll always put it where the, the drug addicts are hanging out. Well, first of all, society doesn't want them there. Nobody wants them there. Here they actually keep kicking them out of the, the parks and they just go camp somewhere else. And then it's a legal battle again. And it's just in and out of the courts constantly. And it's at some point it's like, okay, you know what? You want to go do your drugs. You have, you have personal issues. I, I understand. Maybe it's time for not prisons for sure, not, but supervised communities for people who just don't want to play or they need help. Right. And, you know, it's just a theory, but it's just like this, it is the conflicting ideas, you know, you get one that's drugs are bad outright, and then you get one that's like, they're people, let them be people. It's like, yeah, but there's, there's this middle ground. And so in, when it comes to interacting with a violent person who could be on drugs or could be mentally unstable, the de-escalation tactics, I'm sorry, they're not, they're not really an option there. right? And if they're on drugs, they're not really an option there. No. And the obsession with them it's a failure of understanding Both proper psychology, again, I think the field has lost its way and it's lost its way a long time ago and they're preaching bullshit to people. You got people, uh, you know, criminals obviously don't like uh, laws because they're breaking it so they don't like it, right? And then you got people who are like, oh, what, but they're humans. We don't want to do that. And nobody's actually coming up with that middle ground solution, uh, which is recognizing when a person's unstable, you can't reason with them unless you're someone they trust. Not going to happen, but two. Hey, violence is hard. Guns are hard. Uh, you cannot take away all their tools of the police officer and tell them they're not going to do anything and de-escalate, but hey, that doesn't work anywhere. Like, you know, Krav God, you, you do go through the stages. We try to avoid it. We try to de-escalate. And then you fight and right. you can go like that. And you don't have a choice in that moment, you know? So I think I agree. lack of education across the board for political gain is, is, is the problem because the solutions are there. Um, like I was, I think it was on Joe Rogan. He had a while back, I forgot her name, like a psychiatrist, psychologist that works with the police unions and works with police officers. And she was basically saying, you know, as far as the complaints that, you know, police officers need training it's in particular for like PTSD and all that, how to display and do all that stuff. Um, she's like, we know what to do. The politicians are not allowing us. The mayors are not allowing us. And there's no like... They're not every governor thinks they know what to do. You know, in the state, it creates an issue where here's the solution. But no, this one wants to do that. That one. And I'm not sure. not against the state system. It, it makes sense in a lot of ways. Um, it's just that no one cares about what's actually that middle ground thing. And then everyone's screwed. And now we're just going to go into a huge civil war, I think, because people talk about, oh, the experts, the science, the truth. It's like, but you're not none of you are saying the reality of this. Because each side has the right points about how to deal with this and no one's trying trying to find the solution so, yeah
2: i agree I, I agree you know when we deal with people who are who have mental issues um emotionally disturbed people EDPs as we call it you know my job i mean in, within 30 seconds i have to be able to figure out if these you know i can usually do that now be around somebody in, in, in an encounter for 30 seconds and realize if they're, if they're there or not there or yeah. what I'm dealing with. I usually, you, you pick up that, that instinct after being on this job for a while. Now you get to a point where ultimately I have to ask myself, are they a threat to themselves or others? Yeah. That's when I decide to take them, you know, that they need to be, you know, to be taken to the hospital
3: yeah. for an
2: evaluation or are they off their meds? Maybe they need to go get on their meds. A lot of people get off their meds and then things, bad things start happening because they forget to take their meds or they run out of their meds. They don't get more. You know, it's a situation where, you know, it's, it's, it's a no win for us. Yeah. I mean, you know, is, if somebody you're trying to talk to somebody and they're not there or they're, or they're getting, you know, I had a guy one time tell me his voice in his head was telling him to take the bottle out of his jacket and hit me in the head with it. Yeah. So, you know, what am I left to do with them? Okay, let me get the bottle out of your jacket. Let's be nice here. And, you know, if, um, I'm with you. <laughs> you know he told me, he told me he's voice in his head was telling him, take the bottle out of his jacket and hit me with it. It was a glass bottle. Yeah. And uh, like I said, I got it away from him before that it got to that point, And he was having a, a battle in his head of, you know, you know, trying to, you know, right and wrong. It's like, you know, having it's the devil and the angel on each shoulder and, and he's having this thing going on in his head and, you know, but you, you know, just from dealing with somebody for 30 seconds, I can usually pick up if there's, if there's an issue, yeah. but this, again, we're not social workers and their idea here in, in Buffalo now is they want to start assigning social workers to, to, with police officers to go on these type of calls. Yeah, I mean, that could be their safety. Now I have to worry about their safety on the yeah. call. Yeah, you know, they're not there. If I'm getting called, there's a, if we're getting called, there's a reason why we're getting called. They're doing something that they shouldn't be doing, yeah. or they're or they're acting out. And you know, we had a situation in in, in Buffalo about a month ago where uh, this guy who's known to you know who was known throughout you know the area, um, everybody knows him. He was, I don't know if he's off his meds, he's having a, a terrible day. He's walking down the street with a bat.
3: Yeah.
2: And you have police officers following him. They don't know he's off his meds. They know he's got mental problems and they're following him and they're following. He's not stopping. He's saying, get away from me or you're going to get hurt. Well, one thing leads to another where a female officer gets close to him. They all get converged on him and he ends up hitting her with the bat and he's going for a second shot. She's on the ground and he, and, and he gets shot. Yeah. And people are, are, are going crazy now. That This is the public going crazy saying, well it was only a baseball bat i mean are you are you kidding but this is where we're at with with society now people don't get it and i I said to somebody like let me hit you in the head with a bat and let's see i guarantee you're not going to get up you're not going to survive people don't get it or it's just a knife or you know things like that people just don't understand how dangerous these weapons can be you and i do the police do but the general public looks at you know, here's a crazy person. The police are, are, are bugging this. Are, are, they know this man's crazy. That was one of the comments. They know this man's crazy, yet they're still going to all converge on him and, and, and try to and, and try to attack him. And, yeah. and that's the mentality now. It's, just, it's a shame how it's going this way.
1: Yeah. And, you know, like, not even as a police, I have had to physically restrain friends or people that I know who are clearly having a breakdown. And to someone just watching casually, it can look like you're attacking them, but it's like, no, the only way I can do this is to restrain them quite forcefully. You know, like I'm not punching them. You just right. bear hugs in a specific way of protecting my groin. Cause I know the counter counters, um, <laughs> you know, or you have to grab people hard and, and to the outside, they don't understand that use of force. And yeah, you're going to have to grab them until they calm down or restrain them until they calm down. Cause you just don't know what they're going to do. Um, now I'm not, and that's not even outside policing. That's just as a civilian having to deal with unstable people occasionally. Um, now the social worker idea, like I've been debating in my head, in theory, it could be done in a way that is good, but you brought up the good point that they don't know what they're doing. And I think that's one of the issues is that, well, I'm a social worker. I don't need to learn how to use force. It's like, yes, yes, you do. Cause I hear all the time, you know, here nurses and doctors in the ER and, you know, social workers that get beat up or hospitalized by these people because they just were either just caught them on the wrong time or they weren't good enough at their job, sorry to say, and they're now in the hospital. And so to ignore that fact that no, it is a dangerous job and they do need the training, but then they say, well, I don't want to learn that training. That's not why I did that job. It's like, well, how are you going to manage then? Really? I think what you'll find is if they do implement some of that, that they, they, a lot of people are going to get hurt, but eventually it might wake up to the reality of this. And then it's, it's, it's going to go sideways first, always, if they don't plan it out properly and listen to the people, because they should get used to force training. Like I've been asked multiple times, like nurses and, you know, bus drivers like, Hey, uh, can you teach me self-defense? I'm like, well, I can, but what's your use of force policy at work? Because I know what it's going to say. And they're like, can't do this, can't do that, can't do that. I'm like, I can't teach you anything. Sorry. (laughs) And they get so angry. They're like, what do you mean? Like, I'm like, use of force is use of force. And I believe you have the right to defend yourself. Society and the law says you don't. What do you want me to do? I can teach you. You're probably going to get fired for it. And it's just like nobody, again, is understanding that, as you're saying, like, if they do like I think it would be a good idea to have those those uh, you know attached people, but they should also have people who understand how the police force works. They should also understand you support. Yeah, they're he- they should heavily be trained in psychiatric care. That should be the primary focus of their but they need to learn that other stuff. and, and if they don't, it is going to be a recipe for disaster. but you know the psych field, as I said, is delusional right now. In, in, in about how to do, execute a lot of this stuff. It, it's just, it's often law, la la. They just need to be pushed in the face once or twice, I think. <laughs> yeah, time, yeah, it's just, uh, uh, it's not, experience, <laughs> you know?
2: Yeah, years ago, when I first started uh, policing, when I was in the, with the housing unit, we had a nurse, a, so, uh, a social worker nurse uh, who would come out, had different clients that we would deal with who had mental issues, and she would actually make it worse. Yeah. She was actually, we'd have these people calm down and she'd show up on scene and she'd rile them back up again. It's like, w- what are you doing? Yeah, yeah. You know, you know and you, that's, not what we, that's not what we want. You know, there was, we had a couple of people who were notorious for showing up on, on the scene after the fact and after everything's calmed down, the ambulance is on the way or whatever, and, and they're just making things worse. Yeah, so, you know, well,
1: that I, actually brings up a very good point. So there's a, a theory that the RCMP tried out that's total garbage. Um, they, there were studies, that it's not untrue, but how they implemented it again, total disaster, in my opinion, is that a, a victim, so let's say you call the police that was just assaulted. The first RCMP officer show up, guess what? That's their case now. Because they said, well, the victim associates best with the first person of contact. So what you're explaining is probably based on that principle. As soon as that new person shows up late, It's going to aggravate the situation. So they need to come with you in the first point of contact for it to be reasonably effective. However, what is in our case, what ended up happening is I'm the victim. I'm stressed out. I want to talk to someone. I want to call that RCMP officer. Can't get a hold of them. You don't call them. They call you. Now their whole system is screwed everything up. Now you got the RCMP working 16, 18 hour days sometimes because there were, Oh, there was a last call a day. Boom, new case. And uh you know i will knock the police unions here is they like their overtimes me saying as a citizen fuck you because fuck you. you're working you're overworked you're not doing you're not going to be thinking properly and this whole victim approach is bullshit because uh they're realizing that it was a problem but like i as a teenager had a similar a situation where i'm like they were treating me like a criminal i'm like a dude i got assaulted like bear mates, basically. And it just, luckily, there was a female cop there who like, ooh, like, calm down. But she was there with the other guy. But it's, it's, again, poor execution of good ideas that destroys everything, you
2: know? Sure, sure. Listen, anyone can have a bad day in any occupation. So, I mean, you know, you don't know what's going on with somebody when they, you know, sometimes people are having bad days. And unfortunately, in our situation where if you're having a bad day, I mean, somebody else going could have, end up having a bad day too. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, like, like the situation you just gave. Yeah,
1: and I, and I think on that note, it's actually fair to say that in most cases, if police officers are enduring the stress day in, day out to a level that most people are going to go crazy because they, they haven't adjusted to it, you could make the argument that perhaps a lot of uh, police officers actually have very good mental resilience in many ways, right? Because they're dealing with stuff day in day out so for you 20, 23 years. Was it, mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah, I'm sure there's tons of washed out people who can't handle it and yeah, they shouldn't be on the force at all. But if you think about it to deal with that day in day out and deal with your family, you know, yeah, there is a high rate of alcohol alcoholism <laughs> in a lot of police forces, which is, is a problem, but you know, that is their coping mechanism, unfortunately, but there is that mental resilience. If I take the average person off the street, and make them do the job, they're going to fall apart real fast. And, and any time I've seen that studies done, you know, to shoot or not to shoot those simulations, <laughs> people are just like, oh, my God. Like, I didn't realize how difficult it is to make the right decision. It's like, no you, shit.
3: <laughs> you
2: can go into – you know, I'll, I'll use a story from the past. You know, um, some years ago, maybe it's got about 10 years ago, I was uh, on patrol driving down, driving down a, one of our main streets, and uh, I heard a pop, like, almost like a, a balloon pop. Yeah. To my to my uh, towards my passenger side door. It was summertime the windows were open and I just happened to look over and there's a crowd of people on the side street and it was a shooting. Yeah. And I pulled down the street. I got people waving me waving at me. I've got a guy who's I, as I remember now he's got uh is blood all over his his shoulder. I've got a guy running away. I've got people screaming at all this going on all at once. I have to make a split decision now what is going on here you know and as you look back later and i replay in my mind like you know everything's happening at once you have to make a decision who's got the gun who's been shot who's running away you know what i'm saying and, and you have people pointing yelling screaming you know it's something that you can't you can't sometimes it's the normal person can't do that yeah. and you're trying to process 50 things at once and it's in your life in the line at that point too because someone's just been shot and you they could be shooting at you next showing yeah. up on screen. Yeah. You know, and, you know, long story short, uh, there was one person shot in the shoulder, the other guy's running away, he's got the gun, I, ch- I run after him, finally, I finally catch him, find where he dumped the gun, but when you're pulling up to a situation, in, it's so chaotic like that, I mean, anybody, you have to make split, to se- split decisions, in a, you know, split second decisions, not, it's not the easiest thing in the world to do. No, you
1: did. And, and you know, like, I, I learned this lesson in the military. Is, you know, a lot of the people who get, you know, what is the saying? Uh, the best peacetime soldiers are the worst wartime soldiers, and the best wartime soldiers are the worst peacetime soldiers. Absolutely. Like, one of Canada's, like, he recently passed away, one of the, like, highest awarded guys in that World War II, Smokey Smith. He, like, charged a German tank battalion through, like, took them all out by himself. Uh, like a tank and a whole bunch, or something like that. He got demoted twice in peacetime. And I noticed in the military, these guys who were quick up for promotion, when stuff got tough, they didn't do so well. And then the guys were just kind of like, eh. And so like, I say to my students, you know, or anybody, you don't know how you're going to handle stress until you've handled it. And I guarantee a lot of you are lying about how well you handled it. Because I've seen people just fall apart and I, I don't know why it makes no sense. I happen under like real stress happen to be one of these people that's just like, boom, everything is clear. Here's what we got to do. This is what we're doing.
2: That's your training as well, though. Oh,
1: even before that, it, it actually, I have very little explanation as to why that is, you know, I grew up in a pretty good home, no violence, no, no drug or alcohol issues, like nothing like that. I was a pretty good kid. I, again, I think some people just have it and some people can learn it and, you know, if you're in the ladder where you're learning it, where you do have to be running uh, careful of is the PTSD, is the stress, is the buildup of just the compounding of like the nerves basically. Right? When I came back from the army, I heard it was either firework or a uh, 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 car backfiring. And I'm like driving like that. I don't do that anymore because it's been so long, right? So, you know, it, it's people people who can need to be aware that they don't want to overload their news nervous system and have a mental breakdown but too many people i think overestimate their ability to handle this shit i've seen it they just fall apart i'm like crap i wanted to go home and drink a beer now i gotta deal with this because they can't handle it like i usually give people the benefit of the doubt but i've had to step in on a lot of situations where it's like well it's clearly you're full of shit and i'm gonna save you from yourself or whatever obviously not to the extent that you have um, but it, it, I think it's just there, you know, you can learn it, but you gotta be careful if it's not like intuitive now, and what, what it takes to get, make it intuitive. I have no idea. Like some cultures don't, they say they handle it, but you no, know, if you, we actually looked at their culture I guarantee you, would find the same thing. You got your warriors, you got your non-warriors and, it, and it's hard to tell. So I think again, the best thing you can do is prepare realistically, objectively, and educate people to the best as you can like one thing you know do you know who david goggins is actually
2: uh i know the name Re-
1: yeah, refresh my memory yeah he's that navy seal who runs the ultra marathon yeah. and yes. and he pushes you know all to him he's a great inspiration but man if if a lot of people who look up to you try to do what you do they're gonna die Right, right. So a lot of people overestimate, and he's had a heart attack during a marathon. He's just—he's a little nut. Um, you know, his book's great, great motivational person. Like, get up and do shit. But I think people, you know, the whole like you can push yourself past your limits. Yeah, you can to a point. And you kind of got—I teach my students like you got to know, you have to know what your limits are. Now, what the, the the special force uh, saying that most people are only at the thirty percent is true, especially nowadays cause they've never pushed themselves. right? I know I would never make it into special forces. Like I can barely do like in the Israeli, the test at the time, I, I'm actually probably more capable of it now cause I'm in better shape. But, uh, I know like that stuff, like what my friends could do in black ops, I would die. Like I would die. And I have no delusions about my physical capabilities. Um, and that's really what I like to teach is you need to know your limits. You have to. Some of you are going to have higher limits than other people. You know, the Krav Maga mentality, always fight through. Absolutely. Don't give up. Keep fighting. Be aggressive. But if you're that little shitty kid that just, I'm a tough guy, I do Krav Maga, and it's like, dude, there's a 200-pound guy who works out every day and can fight, I'm sorry. Your Krav Maga is going to probably get you in trouble. <laughs> you know, and the same goes for, you know, a lot of people who want to be cops, and then they actually do it, and then they, they overestimate what they're capable of uh, and, the, and the public too, have complete, as we've discussed have, have zero knowledge uh what are your thoughts on that kind of like the limits knowing your limits training past your limits because you know it's a double edged sword i think
2: oh it, it definitely is you know i think anyone who gets into policing i mean obviously the majority of people i know have got into it because they you know obviously you want to serve a community and you know it's it's not a bad – it wasn't a bad job not long ago, but, you know, I, I mean, are there people out there who have become police officers that probably shouldn't be police officers? Sure, of course, of course. Like anything else in life, you know, you have those – you have people out there like that. Now, it doesn't mean these people are, are – the same people, who, you know, who go out there and want to be malicious and want to, you know, go and and – Go after certain groups of people, or they're hateful. You know, some people are just more geared for the job than others.
3: Yeah,
2: you know, and like I said, I mean, I'm, some of my calls, like I said, in all my years, I, I've never worried about somebody overdoing it. I've always worried about some people underdoing it, yeah. not doing enough, not having my back, not uh, you know being left hanging out to dry because they don't have the same mentality as I have or the same capabilities. In a, in a, in a situation, in a life in that situation. You know what I mean? They're not trained the way, you know, we train with Krav or, you know, or, or do their own training on their own. You know what I mean? Just, you know, being proficient with, 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 with a job. Yeah. And I've always felt like, you know, I have to stay in shape for this job. These kids are getting bigger and stronger and faster. And, you know, I'm not getting any younger. Yeah. So, you know, I always wanted to be in shape to, to be able to, you know, if be, be able to go home at night. Yeah, You know what I mean? And, uh, but not everyone shares those same, you know, that's the same mentality. Some people, it's just the job. Yeah. And you know what? Some, and they're lucky enough, a lot of them not to have to encounter some, some bad things in their careers. And there's, there's police officers like that out there who, you know, just get lucky and they're not in, involved with some, you know, life and death situations or, you know, or they work in a department that's quieter, you know, there's not a lot going on, you know, it can happen anywhere, but a lot of, you know, a lot of different suburban departments, maybe, you know, the, you're not having the same issues that go on in, in the inner cities. Yeah, you know, so, but I, like I said, the job isn't for everyone. That, that's for sure. Not everyone can be a police officer. Some people don't have the that that you know, the capabilities of of of, of articulation.
3: Yeah,
2: or of de-escalation, or being able to talk to people. You know, half of our job is like is you know, I half of our job is communication. Yeah. You know, I can talk to somebody. I, I, I feel like I can talk most people down if they're angry or upset or, you know, whatever it may be. You, you know, use your communication skills like, to calm situations down. Not everything's going to be a fight. I don't want it to be a fight. Like I said before, I get paid the same either way, whether you know they it's easy or hard. I take easy all day. Yeah. You know, some people just want to vent and you just have to sometimes listen. I mean, you're, you're a little of everything. You're a social worker. You're, a, you know, you're a shoulder to cry on. You know, you're a little of everything to people. And, uh, and I think people have, have forgotten that about police officers. You know, they just look at, you know, they see the incidents on TV where someone's getting shot and not knowing the whole situation and jumping to conclusions about everything. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's become ridiculous.
3: Yeah. You know, yeah. it
2: just makes us all, we're all a bunch of goons, racist goons are out there with, you know, pitchforks and, and burning crosses, which is, it's nowhere near being reality. Like I said, I, have been a police officer this long. It, I can on my hand probably count a few people. I thought to myself, they definitely shouldn't have the job because they could be a problem. Yeah. You know. But nothing done in front of me, but just maybe attitudes. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then people say, Well, they're doing things you should you should stop. Well, me personally, no one's ever done anything in my presence that that I would say, you know, cut the shit. Or that I'm, you know, I'm not gonna stand for that. You know, Again, on my calls with some of my guys, we've talked afterwards about it, about the call. Like, what could we have done differently? How could we have handled things differently? I've always, after a call, you know, in my head, did I handle that right? Did I say the right things? Could I have said this differently? Was I being completely safe? Did I notice this uh, person walking up to the side of me quick enough? You always replay things in your head what you could do differently to improve and you know i used to watch cops on tv and i i I couldn't enjoy it i'd have to critique everything that goes on in there because this is what you do you know you 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 know i could have done it that way or he should have said this or he should have done that or you know you you do that you just because you you want to become more proficient and more safe and, and do a better job and that's the way i've always felt about about the job you know what i mean
1: yeah, you yeah, know,
3: actually,
1: uh, like, actually, I just, just thought of this, like, yeah, cops is basically canceled now because of the culture, but it's now, ridiculous. yeah, now that a lot of people have body cams, like police officers, bring it back internally, because what you just yeah. said is actually a really like, like, you would watch a fight, you're watching the fights, watching their videos, like have the videos available. I mean, I know there's some protectionism at the higher, level, but that well, we can watch
2: good. our body cams, we yeah. can watch in their body cam, we can obviously we can't delete them. Yeah. But, you know, and I've done that. I've watched instance back on in the body cam, you know, to see what, what, you know, to just watch what happened to see how, how everything went around me. Just to, like I said, you you try to critique yourself because yeah. you want to be better. You want to be safer. You want to be smarter. And there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You know, me personally, when we first talked about getting body cams, I think my department was one of the first around this area to have them. Yeah. My biggest fear was it being on, well I'm on the phone with my wife or on a personal call in the car and that they can hear you know they can watch this back and hear what i'm saying or if a certain lieutenant got on the radio and said something you get that's eh, fucking yeah. asshole and if the, the body cam is on yeah. and,
3: you
2: know it, that's it was my biggest fear not actually having gone during calls you no know, it's actually it's, it's a great tool to have because it can get you out of trouble and like i said and you can refer back to that and you know if, if an incident happened you see exactly what happened maybe you missed something
3: yeah no oh, it
1: doesn't make that before i forget do you have a hard out at all i forgot to ask
2: uh, I know that uh, my wife. Do, do, I don't know if you are familiar with Warrior. It's a TV show based on the writings of Bruce Lee. It's coming on in a little while. Me and my wa- wife watch it. It's actually a great show. I was going to actually bring that up. Um, I don't
1: think I've seen it. I don't watch it, TV anymore, so.
2: It, you know what? It's it's on Cinemax down here. It's in its second season. Yeah. Um, Shannon Lee, Bruce's daughter. Um, she found some writings he had. Hmm. Not actually, she found him a few years back, probably back in 2010, because he had a lot of stuff that you know, plans and different things he was writing up. Um, if you remember the the series Kung Fu, remember the series Kung Fu with David Carradine?
1: I do it's not remember. I'm a lot younger than you, so I probably do not.
2: <laughs> uh, Bruce actually had that idea for the, the for this for the TV uh, series Kung Fu, and they didn't use Bruce in that series because they didn't want to put an Asian in a leading role back in those yeah. days in the early seventies. So they gave it to David Carradine who David Carradine was a, an actor and a dancer. He was not a martial artist. And anyways, um, this story is a lot like that where um, this Chinese guy comes to America during the 1870s during the, uh, Chinese immigration to this country when they were building the railroads yeah. and he gets hooked up into a, to a Chinese a gang in Chinatown in San Francisco. And they're having these wars with other, uh, gangs in Chinatown. And it's a fantastic series, lots of martial arts in it. And the guy who the lead role, he's actually Japanese. He looks a little bit like Bruce. He's got a beard and he, he uses a lot of the same techniques Bruce did in his movie. So it's actually a, it's a good series. It's not just, uh, Martial arts with no storyline. It's actually got a good storyline yeah. and some good martial arts as well. Yeah. So, but yeah, that comes out a little later. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. A originally- yeah it
1: was being a, the last martial arts show that I was watching that I thought was really good was Into the Badlands. Have you ever seen that? No. The interesting. It was originally, I think, on AMC on cable, and then it was on Netflix. And it's it's essentially like I don't know the exactly. It's the future where guns don't exist. And it goes right back to like a feudalistic Japan. It's like in America where, you know, the barons are like the lords who train their soldiers in martial arts and they basically rule their little feudal kingdoms. And it's just like, I just, you know, I wrote a whole article based off of that about why you need guns, because when guns disappear, you need to have martial arts. Now in the history of martial arts, only wealthy people and their sort of area, people would know martial arts for the most part like the knights in europe and and because the person who could fight would often have the power right and then you know i find i think guns are are an equalizer and it keeps the kings and queens and the governments in line you know america was kind of founded on that idea and i just i kind of think that's true but that that show is just how important martial arts and hand-to-hand combat can be when we do not have these tools anymore you know and they had i think it was like the the elite warriors in each one were called like clippers. And this one guy had tattoos on his back for everyone he killed, you know, and he's like a hundred kills and stuff like, yeah, it was, it's, it's interesting when they, when they can actually do, I mean, it's theatrical, you know, being a like, guy, I'm like, oh, that would never work. But it's, it's, it's hard to actually see good martial arts shows that aren't like totally or, like insanely ridiculous, you know, I think, uh, Tom Cruise has done some roles where he's actually tried to do some pretty like real fight scenes where it's you're in, you're out, they're done. It's not this back and forth nonsense that most of the time is not going to happen on the street. Um, otherwise you're in an MMA fight, right? Someone's you know, I, you know, the Arnie's thing, uh, I, I've told people, like the way you beat a lot of Arnie's illustrimo and let, not the grand master, they're too fast, but if you change your mind to go for the kill, and that's what you're doing, and you take out the I'm not as worried about getting cut or stabbed, you will win more often. And I think a lot of people uh, forget that because that hesitation, I always tell people hesitation means death, right? Sure. If, if you're playing life or death, you better be going for that kill. If you're not going for that kill, that's why it always turns into this back and forth stuff because then it's like I can take a hit, you can take a hit, or I can take and then eventually someone breaks down. But for anyone I've talked to that's been in a real life knife fight, uh, to the death, which I've talked to a couple people, <clears throat> it was over really quickly. And when you talk to military guys, it's mostly the people I've talked to, it's over really quickly. It's right. the first person to get that kill shot. But well,
2: right. you saw the video back when we had our certification where the guy ran up to the guy out of nowhere while he was standing near the, the subway, the, the train tracks. He stabbed him a few times and ran and the guy hits the ground and he's, you know, he's dying. It's that quick.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it can be that quick.
2: The Filipinos, I think, will sit there and they'll try to bleed you out. They'll cut you and try to bleed you out and not go for that, that kill, that kill move, you know, the, the stab that's going to kill you. They're yeah. just going to try to slice you and dice you and bleed you out Yeah. over, a, over a period of time, which, but you're right. Mostly. And the knife fights on the street are not like that whatsoever. It's frenzied. It's, yeah. it's just pure aggression, pure frenzy to get those stabs in. Yeah. And then that usually ends it.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I always remind people the Romans conquered the world, understanding that stabbing people will kill it, will win. <laughs> right? You know, they came up with the short gladius. They just mostly stabbing motions, go for the kill, done. And uh, also better tactics than a lot of <laughs> Going around the Greek phalanx. who knew that would work? <laughs> <You> know, but <laughs> The
2: Romans had numbers also. Yeah. Number, you know, the Spartans didn't have numbers. The Romans had tons and tons and tons yeah. of uh, yeah. soldiers. So yeah. that's how they, uh, they, they did uh, so well.
1: Yeah, of course. They organized, you know, the marching. At the time, like, I hate marching in modern armies it drives me nuts are you doing sword and shield or riot control no are you ever going to do it no stop at the marching like stop it's the only time it makes sense because they actually if you i don't know if you watched the videos from hong kong about their riot police uh you know they're cracking down on the protests i was actually disappointed because i'm like i would have thought the police there would be like super hardcore trained and here i see them as individuals with the riot shields, getting it back and forth, I'm like, I'm disappointed with China. Come on now. Where's your, yeah. where's your hardcore trading? Because that's the actual time it would be
2: necessary. Look, it, looked, like, it, was, it was so chaotic. It was ridiculous. It was chaotic. Yeah.
1: So obviously, they weren't properly trained. they probably just been chilling the whole time. And all of a sudden now, you know, uh, China's a disaster, quite frankly. Yeah. Get censored for saying that. But, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It's uh, what was it? Something I pulled recently. Oh, I was, I was watching, there's a show on Netflix called Away um, about the astronauts going to Mars. Did you ever get a chance to see that? No, no. They kind of do a big fuck you to China in the show by the way they wrote it. I mean, it's like international team of astronauts go to Mars, right? You got the American, who's a woman. They're per- they're pushing some left wing ideals, and I'm like, you know what? It's not so bad because the writing's pretty good, so I can tolerate it. But at the end, they basically the Chinese astronaut basically like big middle finger to China. No season two now, and I'm like, huh? I wonder why. I guarantee you, China told them. I swear to God, if Netflix you do, do that, we're gonna come after you, right? And now I'm just like. This, this nonsense with China and not being able to criticize them even internationally now. Like now, doesn't matter what citizenship you are. If you criticize them outside of China and you're in China, they'll arrest you. They've changed their yeah. law so It's like that's, you know, and people say, you know, not to get too much back into Like here, that's never going to happen here. I'm like, hmm. It starts off with them taking stuff from you, and then it just snowballs, you know.
2: Well, I'll tell you what. Now you have your social media net, uh, networks now censoring people, what yeah. they're saying. So depending on what political party you're with. So things are starting to happen here that, uh, you know, censorship. Yeah. Where You can't freely go on these sites anymore and, and, and speak your mind if it doesn't go with their standards.
1: Yeah, let be one of us changed their name on a certain platform.
2: <laughs> I yeah. I know Yeah, I did. Absolutely. I had to, you know, because you don't want somebody finding you. It's not the hardest thing in the world to type in, you know, someone's name who's a police officer or or to any sort of law enforcement or anything at all and find them on, on Facebook or any other uh, social media platform and and, and figure out, you know, find out who their family is, where the, you know, where they live, uh, you know, anything like that, you can find out. It's not the hardest thing in the world to do. So that's why I did change, which is my nickname because it just it you know I'm not going to do that I'm not going to take that chance where somebody might just you know be you know, bored one day or pissed yeah. off and uh, remember me and uh, decide to type in my you name
1: ten years ago right <laughs>
2: yeah it could be absolutely you, know, you never know yeah you never know and I've actually run into people I've arrested you know at at the supermarket and uh, you know it's not a good feeling to uh you know to run into somebody that you've arrested in a violent arrest and uh they see you out with your family or yeah. you know out doing your thing on your own time it's not a, it's not a good feeling now <laughs> with the social media it you know it could make it worse yeah. you know they can see who your ki- what your kids look like they can see what your wife looks like they can see anything you know just yeah. No, that's why. The good
1: I news it. is, I heard a really good point, and I hadn't thought about it. The other, I was listening to something, and he was saying that you know, in America, you you know, despite the complaints, comparatively to other countries, you still relatively have a free market. I mean, it's not a true free market, but you know, you got the separate states, and it's still a lot more freedom. And they pointed out that if they keep censoring it, you don't necessarily need the governments to step in. We know if the Democrats get in, they're just going to censor the shit out of it, but what's actually going to happen is it's going to actually open up a new free market and they're going to naturally lose their monopolies because people are going to say, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, for yeah. example, there's a guy named Dave Rubin. Are you familiar with him at all? No. He's a, he's a gay married Jew in California. That was a diehard, uh, liberal his whole lives. And he actually went on tour with uh, Jordan Peterson I hope you know Jordan Peterson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because he started to, re- he was one of the first sort of people, sort of media guys to be like, wait, what is the media doing? And now he's like, I'm, I'm voting for Trump. And he's got this massive platform now because he's like, I want to center it, center it, center it, center it. He went so far that he got so sick of this shit. He's created his own platform called locals.com Uh where it's a, it is a paywall, you pay to access, and I think that's going to be the future. He's like, listen, I'm just this is a, a platform. I am not a content. You create your own content as long as you don't break the laws where you are living. You can do whatever you want, right? Because he's more libertarian Republican now, and it's like that's I, this other guy I was listening to is like basically he's a very smart investor was basically suggesting that's what's going to happen, and you might not even need the governments to step in because even though they're acting like a utility now, because that's the market nature of, of the states, um, you're, you're going to get just new opportunities opening up. Then in Europe, they've basically told Facebook, the fuck you're collecting people's private information, not a chance, right? And then Facebook even went so far to threaten Europe, fine, we'll just leave Europe. So, it, it, you know, as, as, ironically, as centuritorial as the governments are in Europe compared to here, they are also. They're still like, no, you can't collect private information for personal capital gain, right? So there is, you know, it's just the market's going to open up, and eventually it's going to, you know, these too big to fail. It's a bunch of nonsense, you know. Yeah. You know Facebook came out of nowhere. It can just disappear uh, as as quickly as it came. Obviously, it's changed the world. Connectivity has changed the world. You know, now every idiot unfortunately has a voice. Uh, it's good and bad. But it, it prevents corruption in one way and, and changes things for the good. But in the other way, again, every idiot has a voice. Uh, right. You know, there's that one uh, blue collar comedy at uh, Jeff Ingwell or something. he's like, it's a problem with stupid people is they don't know they're stupid. You know? <laughs> and he's he had this whole bit a long time ago that stupid people should sure wear signs. And unfortunately, nowadays, people think having a degree makes you smart well yeah a long time ago it used to not if everyone has degrees man stupid people can get degrees too so we'll see because i i think it's a battle i i said when trump got elected what's really going on globally is a battle of the billionaires that we didn't even know this war was going on and they're all fighting it out for like global domination for one one way or the other <laughs> and we're just their fodder so we'll, we'll who knows where it's going to go though
2: yeah Now you, you know with with social media the the problem is is people will post things, people will speak their mind, their subconscious mind on there because they know that there's not any repercussions yeah, so you can sit there and you can say the things that you're thinking that you would not normally never say to someone's face. Yeah. people know they can get away with it because there's, like I said, there's no repercussions. You're, they're not, you're not going to be in front of them to give them a punch in the face for saying it or doing it. It's, and I, I believe that's, uh, you know, one of the reasons why you're seeing so much, you know, hatred on on Facebook. They people know there's, or Twitter, there, or, or, you know, there's no repercussions for what people say.
1: Yeah. Well, what was that like? last? <laughs> Someone was saying they made a joke. They're like, "Oh my God, I'm seeing a, a real life Twitter fight in person." As in, two people were arguing with each other like they're on Twitter, and it's like, "What is going on here?" Because you know, I've, you know, I have a love hate relationship with New York, Manhattan in particular. Like, if I'm there long enough, I'm gonna get in fist fights because you're aggressive people out there, and maybe sure. I'm aggressive as a person, but I'm also Canadian, and I'm like, "Why?" I went to what is Deli, and I was. Pretty drunk at the time, and they're just so rude. And I didn't know that might have been their shtick there. But I'm like, as a Canadian, I'm like, what the? F-? Like, <laughs> are you kidding me? Um, but I think it, I find it weird that you don't see that more in in like New York, where again, violence is a little bit more culturally norm than say on the West Coast, and, and yet it's still like getting out of control. Even still, it just it's mind boggling to me.
3: Yeah,
1: you know. It's pretty crazy. Um, but anyways, I, I actually got to get going soon. Uh, okay. But not, not too quick. Is uh, anything we didn't talk about that you want to talk about? No,
2: you know, what? I just wanted like, – like I said, um, I got to give my, my partner, Nick DeLaPenta, a shout-out, uh, my partner at SPAR, because, uh, you, know, he's a, you know, you've met Nick before, yeah, and yeah. Uh, Nick's definitely the backbone of, uh, of, our, of our school. Yeah. Um, the guy is, you know, he's dedicated. Now, obviously I still have my job, you know, my, as a police officer, but Nick is fully dedicated to the school and, uh, he's done a great job. Um, you know, when I first walked in there in 2014, when we first got the building and I don't know if you met our, our, uh, owner, Bill, Bill Long, Bill is, uh, we used to take crowd take with us at, uh, the other school, which you were at where they had this, uh, uh certification, but you know, Bill Long back then said, you know what? I can, I think I can make a better school than this. Yeah. And you know what? And, and I was, we've talked about it for a couple of years and you know, in the martial arts business, there's a lot of people who do a lot of talking. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. you know that there's, there's people out there, you know, do lots of talking about who they are, what they are, what they do. And a lot of people are full of shit. And I had just met Bill, um, the one time, you know, and I met Nick a couple times. Nick was saying, well, we want to get to school going. We want to get to school. We want you to teach. And I had my certification from near from 2011. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, 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 sure, sure, sure. And sure enough, in 2014, I walked in into our school and it looked like it was a, a bomb had hit the place. Yeah. It, I'm like, this is going to be a school. And that was in August of 2014. And by October of 2015, it was probably one of the, you know, prime – martial arts schools in North America. And you know, you you guys, you and, and uh Born gave us some great advice as well. I mean, we definitely appreciate the you know the the advice you gave us as far as curriculum and yeah. and teaching. Cause we you know, we were going into it and we weren't quite sure how we wanted to do everything. We had lots of great ideas and you know we definitely appreciate your guys' input to help us. Yeah. Um but you know Nick definitely is the backbone to the school and uh we have we had over three hundred students at one point. And, uh, you know, we're in a good location and, uh, in a, in a busy area, we had over 300 students and, you know, obviously with COVID things are just, are, are, you know, it's tearing us up right now. Cause you yeah. know, obviously we have a lease that's gotta be paid and we have nobody coming through the doors. Yeah. So, yeah. That's and,
1: actually, like, I didn't like, I'm not, in da- I got a, a hard out in about 25 minutes for me, but, um, I didn't talk about that. Like the COVID cause in New York, They just shut it down. Now, like here in B, I've been very lucky in BC because they are being. Even though I get tired of seeing the damn daily announcement of how many people have COVID, I'm like, dude, how many people have died? None this week. Fuck off. But they've been reasonable here in that you know our case they they opened it up not as quick as I'd like, but like I've been running my classes regularly. Like there is a capacity limit. But someone in the martial arts community said like, you know, you want to talk about bubbles, martial artists pretty much hang out in their bubbles. And, you know, especially in the jiu-jitsu community. And it's, you know, we haven't really had a major problem here. So they kind of, I mean, people here are still freaking out like lunatics, but we're pretty much back to normal mask wearing has become more or less the norm. Other than that, not, there's some arbitrary shit like, no selling liquor at, at, at stores, you know, at the restaurants after 10 PM. And like, that makes no sense.
3: What's that got to do with anything?
1: You know, well, they, I don't know what they were thinking. I think it actually, the spike we're seeing is because now everyone's just having house parties again. And it's like, that's probably not a good idea guys. No. And so, you know, but most of them, like, we've been fortunate to get back. And at first people were very hesitant. Most of my students come back and I've been accepting new students up to the capacity that I'm allowed to have. Um, so I can't imagine I would probably be going nuts if I was in your position, like just, well, you know, nuts.
2: We've been, we've been close since March and yeah. um, we don't know, you know, I was just talking to Nick a little bit earlier today and even to hold pads, we can't do it. Yeah. They'll come in and they'll, they'll the, the county we live in gets wind of it. And they'll come in and they'll, they'll close you up. Yeah. And you know, we can't do anything. And yeah. it's very frustrating because you know, we just not an income coming in, and people aren't training. And I run into people. You know, I've talked to lots of people. Like we really want to get back to training, Um, you know, and we can't go so far as to just have hold pads for people, yeah. or you know, or just have them show up to do non-contact um, movement. But, but then again, that doesn't work for profit. Yeah. You know that we can't do that. I mean, it's not a Taibo class. You know, it, we it, there's got to be physical contact. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. It's, uh, our governor is... Um, nuts.
1: You know, I'm an outsider. I think he's crazy.
2: <laughs> he is crazy. I mean the example, you can have your restaurant open. You have to wear a mask in the restaurant. When you sit down, you can take the mask off. Yeah. You're safe then. The virus isn't going to get you while you're eating. However, if you get up to go to the bathroom, you have to put the mask back on. And when you leave the restaurant, you have to put the mask back on. Yeah. The virus will not bother you while you have the mask off while you're sitting. However, if you stand, you're in trouble. Yeah. It just doesn't make sense. Well, because, oh, it doesn't crazy.
1: make sense. It's politicized. It's know
2: ridiculous. A bar can only be open and serve uh, uh, dinners. So you can't go to a bar and order chicken wings, which is our big delicacy here. <laughs> uh, the, we invent chicken wings don't count as as, as a dinner or it, it counts as a you know a, a snack and it doesn't. It, it, so you can't be open as a bar unless you're serving dinners. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can't serve chicken wings. It's just it's become outrageous yeah. and with all these rules. It it becomes very frustrating because, like, okay, what is what is really going on here? I mean, and you're not going to let places open, yet you're expecting them to, you know, to pay their taxes, their business taxes. You're expecting them to pay their rents, their more, you know, uh, you know, their leases. It's become ridiculous, and uh, I I don't know what the end is here. If we're waiting for a vaccine, which many people probably aren't going to take anyways,
3: we 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 could be.
2: We could be close for, we could be close for over a year into next year and I don't see where the end comes. Europe is going through a second wave. Now I have friends and relatives in, in Italy and I now obviously I don't know if you know, I'm a soccer fan so I, I watch Italian soccer and I know the for a fact that most of these players are now testing positive for COVID because they get tested constantly. Yeah. Cristiano Ronaldo is a good example everyone knows who Cristiano Ronaldo is He tested positive for COVID. He's tested positive a couple of times but he's asymptomatic. Yeah. he has no symptoms whatsoever so he's isolating and all these players are isolating and they have those symptoms yeah um so it could easily be going around we could all maybe have it and we wouldn't know because we're not having symptoms unless we get tested Oh probably and Italy was locked down for over three months over 90 days where you couldn't leave your houses you can only leave your houses at certain times to get supplies and to get food The military and the police are patrolling the streets and you cannot leave people are on their balconies dancing doing their thing trying to pass the time but they're in complete and total lockdown for three months. Now it's coming back again. Yeah. So when, when these politicians are pointing fingers like, you didn't do enough, you didn't do it. You know what? Italy did everything they could and look what's happening there. It's happening all over again. A second wave. So Israel I don't,
1: was On its third lockdown, I, it's, it's, I don't understand it. Because I don't yeah. understand Israel's mentality. Oh, I kind of do. I think it's to do with the religious ideology of life is precious, but like, I'm sorry, at any, this point, anyone who's talking about the science and is not being objectively true about the science, because I, I can tell. I, I know a lot of people can't, but I know when you're full of shit, right? You know, at first when they said, stop calling it the flu, I'm like, well, actually, COVID-2 is a family of viruses that, or COVID is a family of viruses. This happens to be called COVID-2. Four of the strains, by the way, are called flu strains that are standard. So if you want to call it a cousin of a flu, I guess... But it's gonna, in some ways, be similar. As in, they can come out with the vaccine all they want. It's going to still be like a, a, a regular flu vaccine every year. It's, it's Which usually gonna, don't work anyways. It's not. People don't understand the difference. Okay, if we have a vaccine for polio, that's because polio is not an RNA based virus. You can right. use the vaccine and wipe that out pretty good. You can get your. I was herd immunity is a thing. In those cases, it's usually you need a 95% herd immunity, which is what they based off of this. They basically said, normally we need a high herd immunity. And then, but this is an RNA based virus, so not really. And they're just, you get scientists saying, well, you probably need less than 60%. It could even be lower than that. And most of us probably have it. The fact bodies are not dropping dead left, right and center should be all people need to realize, oh, this was, it's a real thing and it's happened. They didn't know what to do with it, but it's all because of one asshole professor in, I think, Oxford <laughs> that released that bullshit study that, all the, that was debunked by peer review two weeks later, but it was too late. All the politicians and all the publics had jumped on They could have easily have not said shit, and we would have just thought it was a bad flu year. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right. No one would have known the damn difference in saying that to a lot of people. It's like, how dare you, you don't understand science. I'm like, you want to sit down and have a discussion about this. I'm going to own you. I'm not an expert. I'm not, I don't practice for a living. I know what I'm talking about. I listen to people who are not in mainstream media who have done in-depth research on this shit. I understand how science works. I understand scientific method. I've actually gotten arguments with people. Most people think scientific method is a process of science that. I have an idea and i want to prove it right nope it's i have an idea i want to prove it right or wrong both answers are acceptable in proper science that's sure. not what people are doing nowadays they are pushing because who's paying the bills what's the politics behind it oh you're a scientist who are you really going to tell the truth because we've seen what happens on university campuses on the politic front most of you behind the scenes will tell people like jordan peterson thank you for doing what we're doing but you won't come out publicly you're all cowards. I'm sorry. You're not people. Yeah. People. You don't know how to talk to people. Mostly, a lot of them are probably autistic. And I don't know if you you're familiar with dealing with autistic people. They don't get jokes very well, right? They're <laughs> no. very literal. Yeah, and uh, you know they. This is how it has to be. And then it's like, no, man. Life is nuanced. Life is not black and white. You got, and then sure. just craziness of everyone just completely bastardizing science. Yes, there is a huge problem with scientific illiteracy across the globe, not just in America, because I talk to people here who don't know shit about science at all, and they think they do, right? And, and then I also have friends who are very educated, should understand better, and they, you know, get in uh, Facebook arguments, and i have hey, like, you want to go, sit, like, pre-COVID, you want to sit down, I'll buy you a coffee, let's have a discussion for face-to-face. Nope. I'm like, oh, I guess you don't really want to have a real discussion, yeah. Then you know?
2: You know, to add the icing on the cake on all this, um, you know, I've gotten... I get uh, a doctor, Dr. Mercola, who I follow, who he's uh, you know, a naturopath. You know, He's good with diets and anti-cancer uh, prevention, stuff like that. And he wrote a, a, a story. I mean, we don't wear masks for the flu during flu season yeah. because masks usually don't work. Um, this virus is, I, I believe, it's like 0.03 microns in size. Well, the N95 mask will only catch things the 0.6 microns in size. So this is small enough to penetrate an N95 mask and it's aerosolized. It's not just droplets. It's in the air. Yeah. So all these masks, people wearing, you know, N95 bandanas, panties, whatever they want to wear on their face, it's not going to protect them. And listen, I'm, if people want to wear masks, that's fine. I'll wear one when I need to, but I really honestly don't believe they work. And in uh, Fauci in the beginning said they don't work now they do. So you know, and people who are wearing masks are still getting it, so I, I don't buy that.
1: Yeah, well, they they do and they don't. Um, the overemphasis, like early on, I was like, and I should just give my background. I did occupational health and safety, so when I was younger, so I do understand respirators and masks fairly, fairly competently. And you know, if it's a droplet, yeah, medical masks are going to prevent. You know, right. Um, even if they're not 100%, people need to stop with this 100% bullshit. Let's say in the beginning when they were like, don't wear masks, they should have been saying wear masks initially. Sure. Because if you don't know what the virus is, you should Better be telling people, stuff. hey, it, it, take some precaution. Um, I think if you're a vulnerable person and you're going out, it might be a good idea because it could, even if it's a 10% reduction, that's probably good for you. Sure. right? Sure. Um, but mandatory mask wearing and people freaking out about it. if you're young and healthy, I, I don't really see the point with this virus. Now, and I tell everyone, like, okay, if we had like aerosolized, uh, bu- uh, not that, uh, uh, what's the one? Um, the one with the blood that everyone is terrified of. It's in Africa usually. Um, I am blanking. Anyway, if a virus like that went airborne, I'm going to be in a full hazmat suit, okay? Sure. And I'm not leaving my apartment. But Understanding the virus and then under—I I was actually listening. I forgot the guy's name. He's fascinating. He was saying, "Why don't cancer patients die at an abnormally high rate from this?" And it's like an actually—it was a curious—and—and—and and, and, and I forgot the podcast. I, I'll try to link. But it was—it's heavy on the science, like really in depth about explaining the reason why people with resp- certain respiratory issues specifically are dropping dead at a disproportional rate is because the connection was these two different things. I forgot what it was. They're on the same medications. These medications do something to the lungs that open up the receptors. And I'm bastardizing this explanation because if it's simply a matter of compromised immune system, you should see cancer patients being dropping dead left, right, center. And they're not. And he was saying, you know, uh, it was, uh, people with specific pulmonary issues, and oh, statins is one of the things if you're obese, because statins do, the and this other drug, I forgot what it was, these two groups of people are super high risk because they're on these specific medications which are making COVID-2 more deadly to them. Outside of that, it's mostly people over 70 and 80 who are just, you know, it is what it is. You know, I knew a 100-year-old guy, uh, fit-ish for a 100-year-old guy, he broke his hip, went to the hospital, and what killed him was pneumonia in the hospital. Yes. Had he not gone to the hospital and he had the money to pay for home care, I guarantee you he would have been fine. You know? And and it's this lack of lack of scientific literacy on one end, because if everyone knew what an RNA-based virus means, they'd be like, Oh yeah, okay, a vaccine's gonna fix the world. I don't think so. It's a good thing to have, but it's not gonna fix everything. And then the, on the other side, you get the, the people who should know better and are in the cult of academia and, and science. I'm for science, just for anyone who's going, oh, yeah. But I, I understand where academia is at right now, and they're getting really culty really fast, and, and there's people on both ends. And, if ever, again, that center line, more people need to be scientifically literate. Just because you're a PhD, shut the fuck up, you arrogant prat. Because a lot of you make mistakes, and that is science. You know, you have to be able to prove right or wrong. And they're not doing that enough. They go off of one study that is poorly done a lot of the time, and then they run with it. And nobody bothers to check a lot of that. Right? It. You know, no, no, I, I the agree. But you know, the, there's these big, big magazines nowadays. Uh, they've been around forever. Science magazine and Nature magazine were like the gold standard. If you got your study published in these two, these two magazines. You were, you're like it. Like, you did your job as a scientist. Sure. But recently, both of those magazines have been infiltrated by crappy studies that were supposed to be peer reviewed. And their response was, it's not our job to check if they are done their study properly. It's like, that's literally what your job is. That's literally what peer review is. You ask, that's you. ridiculous. You know, and, and so people are arrogant and thinking that they're infallible because they have a PhD. Okay. I know you just dedicated your whole life to something. We learned something new. Everything you knew for the last 20 years is now wrong. You need to update. So those people are not doing that. And then there's the other people who, whether they just don't understand, never learned, don't want to learn, don't understand science. And you got both sides panicking for complete bullshit reasons. And then people like me and you are stuck in the fucking mail. You're like,
2: (laughs) absolutely. And I, I believe there's agendas here. I wonder about these numbers of deaths. You know, there was talk about some of these people who, you know, might have been in a motorcycle accident and went to the hospital and died, but yet they, yeah. whatever they did, their testing and they had COVID as well. So they list them as a COVID death. I mean, that's how ridiculous.
1: Yeah. Well, said it best. If you get bitten by a shark and die of a shark bite and you have COVID, you still died of a shark bite. <laughs>
3: yeah, I mean,
2: but this, it, it's all, you know, here at least it's, it's become agenda-based. Yeah. And uh, a lockdowns, I, I personally don't believe lockdowns work. Oh, um, at
1: this point, it's now, it, initially, sure, for a couple of weeks, if it's a new virus, we need to figure this out, fine, right? If it turns out to be, if bodies are dropping, great, lockdown. Not the case in most situations. It's not appropriate for more than a few weeks. Uh, it's not gonna do anything. You'd have to lock everyone on the planet in their houses with airtight ventilators for like a year to eliminate a virus like this. So uh, and
2: it still may not work.
1: Yeah, still not going See, in the meantime, you've just destroyed everything. So it's—I uh, mean—you get the fun job of being in the middle of it all in one of yeah, the, the restaurants. Fun. I might, you know, well, we we agree. Our our side agrees on it's not a very well-run state right now and in a very hated job right now in the, in the middle of this craziness <laughs>
2: can things get worse
3: <laughs> yeah i mean
2: really i honestly can't believe i can things get worse that's just the next question i don't think it can honestly i mean with everything the last few months have been just a bizarre world if you know anything about yeah. the superman series man this has been bizarro world where everything's completely backwards
1: and yeah. uh well i mean worst case scenario for america it's civil war like my hope is if it gets to that it breaks up civilly but you know i and i i I listen to a lot of these intellectual people and they're like oh you're gonna fight the government with your guns well we'll just we have bombs and i'm like hey you know half the forces are from texas right you you do realize half the special forces are from texas you honestly believe they're gonna go against texas i don't think so like these people just don't understand like again the nuances of the reality, the, the most people in the armed forces in America are en masse. Well, some will. I mean, Hitler did it. Some will. But I think nowadays with the internet and, and, and just the, the state, how it's structured differently, you'll just get to saying you know what? That would be the best of the worst case. And our worst case scenario being outright civil war again. Um, but if you actually take, you know, uh, California and New York out of America, it's predominantly a center, center right place. Like on... on on mass, and it seems like it's not because the media centers are on those in those two places. But that that's kind of is, you know, people were saying Florida's going to vote. I see the polls; Florida's going to vote Democrat. I'm like, no, it's not. And it's because you're failing to recognize the Cubans are and those groups, that block of Latinos, are not going to vote for anything remotely socialist. It's not on a not for, like they left.
2: They left that oh, Cuba yeah. for a reason.
1: Yeah, so yeah. they're not going to vote, and the old people there are not going to vote left. And I really, you know, okay, it could hypothetically flip, but I, I think it would be a stretch, right? So most of the country is center center right in all practical realities, right? But it's being twisted as if it's not because of of perception and 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 all. It's that the
2: stuff. media. It's the yeah. media trying to play things up. I mean, we we see it every day. Yeah,
1: and I mean, um, in Canada again, it's Toronto, Montreal are just power centers of the Canadian politics. And we make the joke. Sometimes it's not a joke. It's quite appalling that sometimes our federal elections are decided before it even leaves Ontario. Right. Right. Get the BC like, Oh, our votes going to make a difference. Well, no. And you know, the popular vote thing, people need to stop making that argument because it doesn't matter. That's not what your system is. And guess what? It's not what our system is. Cause guess what? Trudeau lost the popular vote in Canada by a lot last time. Yeah. He still won. And is it upsetting? I think he's a scumbag, but I don't run around whining about the popular vote because that's not how the system works
2: at they, all. In they want to change. The, here's the problem the, that the, the left especially wants to change the rules when they don't, when they don't win, when it doesn't go in their favor, they want to change the rules. They had no problem with, with the popular vote before, yeah.
3: um,
2: you know, and then when Trump wins through the electoral college, I also no, we got to change it now. This thing's going on with the Supreme court where they're putting this Amy Comey Barrett on, who's uh. Very conservative. Yeah. And now they want to make more Supreme Court justices. You yeah. know they want to start filling the courts. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's ridiculous. If you don't get your way, I mean, hey, the rules are rules, and sometimes it's going to go in your favor, and sometimes it's not. But you don't change. Things around just because you lost, and that's the whole, uh, you know, uh, awards for every participation award mentality, where you think that you should win at everything. Sometimes you're not going to win, and you have to accept that you lost.
3: Yeah, and they still right. don't
2: accept the fact that Trump won four years ago, and yeah. we're still going through this. Yeah. So it's a shame. I hate being political. Like I, you know, just in my position as a police officer. I don't bring politics into my work. Yeah. I mean, on the job itself, you don't. You don't do that. You deal with everybody the same way. I don't care, Democrat, Republican, whatever you are, it doesn't make a difference.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Like, obviously, I can't stop, high. It's my thing. <laughs> but, you know, I mix. I actually, in my teachings, will teach it. But I, I, I when I'm teaching and I spin it in self-defense perspective, as in, hey, what's going on in Thailand right now? Because it's something that happened five years ago. People like to go to Thailand, right? And I'm, take COVID out of that. You want to travel to Thailand? Are you aware that there's military unrest right there right now? No, because you don't understand politics. Uh, if I go, I, you know, one of these uh, pop groups I'm in, uh, they, in England, I get sent these stabbing videos all the time, all the time. And it's like, hey, you, you do realize London's a really dangerous city if you leave the tourist areas, or Paris is really dangerous if you, and you need to understand this stuff. Someone very close to me, who I've since got in, gotten them into politics, used to just vote one or one way or the other based on what their friends voted. And right. our politics is important. Most people in Canada too, like I oh, forget it, why it's stupid? But this person is starting to tell me, like, I didn't realize how involved everything is with this stuff. And if you don't know, you're going to get screwed over. And all of a sudden now they're educating themselves on this stuff and starting to learn like, Ooh, it's not what I thought it was. It's like, no shit. Sure. <laughs> sure.
2: It's crazy. You know, people just understand what's going on in their own backyard. One of the guys I trained with in Israel uh, was a London police officer. Yeah. And they don't carry They at that time in 2011, they don't carry guns. If they yeah. need firearms, they call another unit that's armed to come yeah. to the scene.
1: Gun squad. Which
2: they have their billy clubs. That's all they have. And it's. <laughs> I, I thought it was ridiculous. But then he tells me that there are certain parts of East London, I believe, that's basically Sharia law. It's no. Muslim controlled. They won't go in those <laughs> about areas.
1: It. You can't talk they, about it publicly. Yeah. But it's true.
2: They yeah. won't go in those areas. Yeah. Because they're afraid of, of being shot and killed. And here's these police officers without guns. They have their billy clubs and maybe pepper spray or whatever. I don't even mean, they carry tasers, whatever they carry. They
1: don't have guns and actually, they won't the It actually shows, you know, there's this saying about, you know, the government has the uh, what is it? It's a common saying about the the government has used like the right to use of force and when they lose that use of force, like or people are willing to be like, I don't care if you're the government, they back off. And it just shows you it's violent. you can only be violence and violence, and if you're not willing to be violence and violence, the other side's gonna win. Right. It, it applies on the micro of personal self-defense. It applies on the macro on politics. And I know a lot of people in crowd like to stay away from the politics. A lot of people say, don't talk about politics. Everything is connected. Your micro and your macro, it's all connected. And the same as if I don't punch the guy who's hitting me in the face back, he's going to keep doing it till i dead. It applies to people who are willing to use these supports, whether it be a particular group of people that's more violent than you, whether it be a political affiliate, whatever it is. Right, you know, you're seeing that now with the rise of Antifa. Like, there's a reason that they're
2: if you, absolutely. And if you listen to what Antifa and Black Lives Matter say, they don't want police.
1: Yeah.
2: Or we, you know, we they, we should be eliminated. You know, that's ridiculous.
1: If you and don't that, stand all, for them, you get lawlessness, like that the, the chat or whatever the hell it was in Seattle. Yeah,
2: yeah. We're, 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 even in Portland now, yeah. where they're holding the police back. All you're doing is they're punching. It's, like you said, it's, they they comparing uh, being punched in the face and not responding and you keep getting punched and they're going to keep punching you yeah. until you, until you, until you're, until you're dead. Yeah. And <clears throat> that's, what's happening now in you know in Portland and other cities where the police are just being held back. Well, what do you expect them to do? Then when they do go to try to stop these people, their powers are limited and they, and these people in Antifa know this <laughs> and Black Lives Matter know this and they keep pushing the, pushing the button, pushing the button and they keep you know, or just say pushing the envelope. And so where does it end? And that's my question is if the police aren't getting the backing of their, of the, of the, you know, the people running these cities or these states, then where does it end? What are we supposed to do? Yeah. And that's no one wants to answer that question is what nope, does the police do? Yeah. The mentality of a lot of police officers now is <laughs> standing down. I mean, we, you can't do your job. What are you supposed to do? Now we just have got to worry about ourselves. And that's, a terrible way to feel. I never imagined being, feeling that way, but with the uh, with the climate of this country where the, they want to abolish police, and you've got actually politicians pushing this as well. In Minneapolis, they're voting to abolish the police altogether. Yeah,
1: that's going to go I mean, poorly. What
2: sense does this make?
1: Yeah, it, and these I mean,
2: are these are supposed to be educated people. Maybe I should run for office when I retire. Yeah, maybe I you think should I do a little better job. It's, <laughs>
3: it,
2: it's ridiculous. Yeah. I, I just shake my head with, with the way people think. It's just outrageous.
1: Yeah. Well, that's why I say get educated, learn martial arts, get gate <laughs> training. But I, I do have to go now because I got to get to something. Um, but it was a pleasure having you. Uh, how, my
2: pleasure being on.
1: What's your website for your school when it reopens? People can uh, hit it
2: up sparselfdefense.com. Um,
1: and you guys have social media at all, or you guys? We sure cool?
2: do. We're on Facebook. Uh, we're on Instagram. Uh, just uh, type in Spar Self-Defense, and they'll find us.
1: Okay, awesome. Well, i was glad seeing, catching up with you. Hopefully, when COVID calms down and New York settles down, I'll be back sometimes.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Come on back. Get some wings. Hopefully, we'll get near here as well, and uh, we'll get some chicken wings and, uh, you know, Get some pizza, pizza and wings and uh, watch a Bills game.
3: Oh,
1: for sure. Oh, yeah. Have a good night. Have fun watching Warrior.
2: <laughs> Thanks, man. Stay safe.
1: Good night. Good night.
2: Take care.
0: You're listening to The Warrior's World. Warriors Brought to you by Urban Tactics Krav Maga. Turning lambs into lions.